Okay, welcome back, everybody. This is a going to be the continuation of last week's phenomenal discourse we're learning over here in Shari Tefillah, Padre B'Shalim Nafshi. Um, the class is called the, fi- the, the Final Battle Within and Without. Really cool. Um, last week we were learning all about, um, he, he presents the idea, this is the theme, this week is Padre B'Shalim, this week is Yotas Kislev which is the theme of the liberation of the Alter Rebbe, also the liberation of the previous, of the Mittler Rebbe, second Chabad Rebbe, Rebbe Ber, and the first Chabad Rebbe, Shneir Zalman, both of them, nine, ten days apart, have their liberation day. They were both in, 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 in um, arrested and in Russian prison, Russian czarist prisons. Um, and this was all spiritual, really, even though it manifested with physical accusations. In the end, they were both redeemed, 25, 20, something, five years apart. And um, the maybe twenty-eight years, I don't know exactly the, the, the dates. And um, both of them were redeemed while saying the special verse, Pada Bashalam Nafshi, I was redeemed in peace. So this mimer from the Mittler Rebbe, this is from the second Chabad Rebbe, explains what is the what does King David mean when he says, I was redeemed in peace. So he's going to explain his levels of redemption. He's talking about the internal battle because there is an internal conflict that goes on between our truer, deeper selves, our godly selves, that uh, wants to express itself in our lives, was sent down by God to express itself, and we should live godly lives. But then there is a a, a, a um, external, superficial, unholy self that, uh, that uh, wants to assert itself and take over our lives, that although we have spiritual, godly souls, we should live mundane, godless um, um, existence that is completely that is completely materialistic and 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 directed towards the instant pleasure and and um, physical comforts and delights and pursuits instead of forgetting our main purpose why we were sent into this world to be a light onto the world to shine godly light into this world. So there's a, this life is a constant battle between these two souls. And last week we were learning that when we pray, there's two types of prayer. If you remember last week, we were learning that the two types of prayer, there's one kind of prayer where one is just praying with their godly soul. When we pray only with our godly soul, then we're not going to experience such powerful, uh, you know, um, um, gun, gun, um, machinery, uh, um, um, a machine gun or artillery coming from our animal soul because the animal soul doesn't feel so threatened. Uh, he doesn't mind that the godly soul is tripping out on God as long as the animal soul feels that, you know, once the godly soul will end its uh, little spiritual e- escapade, the animal will reassert itself and the person will continue living as if there has been no godliness in their life without budging one bit of their ego. And um, obviously that's not the intention. God did not intend that we live two lives where two souls and one person, we have split personalities. One of us, one part of us is heavenly, the other part of us is unrefined and animalistic. That's not the purpose. The purpose is the convergence of the both souls, which happen, which takes place when we have a different type of prayer, which means when, when we pray or we, when, when we pray, we activate our godly consciousness according to Hasidic um, teachings. The main purpose of prayer is not to pray for your needs. The main purpose of prayer is to create every single day 
a, a expansion of our divine higher being, of a higher consciousness, to bring focus to God and to God's omnipresence and his 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 and his uh, and that the world is just a cover on God, and that we discover and we cleave and we bond and we create an excitement and a and a, and a passion to cleave to what's to the real the real reality, which is Hashem, and based on those deep, powerful perceptions and convictions that we have during prayer, uh, we should be able to curb our animal animal soul and 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 reduce it, and by doing this daily. Hopefully, we can get our animal soul to become completely sublimated by our godly consciousness. So, bit by bit, our animal, our animal self, dissolves into the godly self. And hopefully, by the time our, our, we reach a mature age, in the time we live out our lives—70, 80, 90, 100, 110, 120, 130, whatever life God grants us—we we 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 transform. Our, our, our consciousness to be more godly, more purposeful, more mindful. And that's, that's, that's what it's supposed to be. When we have this type of prayer, we learned last week, this will call for a massive uh, counterattack by the, God, by the animal soul. Because the animal soul, although in its heart of hearts, it wants to be sublimated, it wants to be transformed, but that's only the secret. Consciously, it wants to be given free reign to be an animal and to live life um, completely pursuing its own, its own appetites, its own desires, its own um, impulses, its own uh, pleasures and lusts and whatever. It wants a license to do whatever it wants. And it doesn't get, it's not happy when the godly soul is. Is, is gaining more control. So we learned that that's why during prayer, precisely, is when we experience the most distracting thoughts. That's the way the animal soul fights back. He will throw any type of, of, of distracting thought. Sometimes he will throw business thoughts, which are not that ugly, because business is not bad, as long as it's kosher business. But the fact that you're thinking about your business so much in middle prayer, you've got to ask yourself why. In the middle of your eating, you're not thinking so much about your business. Little prayer, that's exactly a little exercise you're not thinking about. But you're able to shut it down. But precisely in prayer, that's when all oh, you have to call back this guy and I have to make an invoice for him and I have to, and I, and I forgot to call him back and I have to do this, I have to do that. My clients did that. Everything happens during prayer. Why is it? That's, that's, that's on a simple level. Sometimes, however, the animal so realizes that with that itself, just to, just to try to distract with uh, that is not the godly soul might kind of able to overcome those thoughts. So it wants to really, really throw the, the godly soul off so it will start thinking really not nice thoughts, like really of, of, of unholy desires and stuff, and throw that in during prayer. And that's kind of like stunning. It's like throwing a, a, a RPG, you know, an explosive that calls the godly soul to get off. So we shouldn't get, you know, um, frazzled by it because we should know that's exactly the way it is. It's meant to be that way. That's what we were learning. Because that's, if if... If you're pr- provoking your animal soul, you're exact. You're praying well. So the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, the the, the, the Mittler Rebbe's father, the, the Mittler Rebbe's the one who says this mimer. But the Mittler Rebbe's father says that 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 actually it's a sign that you're praying well if you have so many distracting thoughts, because that's exactly what's happening. That means that your animal soul feels threatened. You're gaining ground. You're occupying <laughs> territory. 
the more you're occupying, the more you're conquering, the more he's going to, the, the, the more desperate the animal soul will become. That's what we were learning. And, and last week we were learning that when the godly soul, um, when the animal soul attacks, we were learning that actually temporarily the animal soul attacks back, stages a, a counterattack, and as a result of that, it's able to get your godly soul to get, to get, um, to release more divine energy into the animal soul. Because the two people wrestle, we were learning on wrestling, two people, and the only way you could take someone down is to get up and close with them. And people wrestle, and so like this week at the Torah portion is about Yaakov and, and Yaakov and the king and the angel of Asa wrestling. But the moment you open yourself up to the klipa, so temporarily the klipa, the unholy, can grab your attention from a deeper place. Because when your soul is sleeping, your soul is sleeping. But now that your soul is awake, and this, let me put it this way. When you're releasing energy into your heart, if it's holy energy, if you're releasing energy into your heart, you have love of God and fear of God, that itself is enormous holy energy. The animal soul wants to grab that energy and, and usurp that energy into its unholiness. Like we spoke last week, how the, 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 the drunkard would come to the Bolshemta when the Bolshemta was praying in order that he should be able to guzzle his 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 um his alcohol with an extra with extra intensity because the Bolshemta created so much energy. That's the idea that the clip what we learned that although temporarily, whenever you're making yourself vulnerable, that's it. The moment you're stepping into the battlefield, you're making yourself vulnerable. When when one army goes to fight an army, even to conquer it. When you go, when, when one army is released on the other army, you, you're you're making your soldiers vulnerable. First of all, to be killed, God forbid, but also to be taken cap- into captivity, and that will strengthen the enemy. But you're doing it anyways because you know that victory will be yours, even if temporarily they're taking hostages, even if temporarily there is a certain loss. And the point over here is, in the end, you're going to extract it. You're going to take back those, and plus, you're not only going to take it back, but you're going to take back that with extra. As I discussed on the hostage video that I produced this week, this whole concept. So this idea is also stated in the verse, "Kihine oivecha Hashem," for behold, your enemy's God. There's a verse in Psalms. It says, "Kihine oivecha Hashem," for behold, your enemy's God. "Kihine oivecha yoveidu." In the end, your enemies will be lost, will be uh, will be destroyed. Yispardu, they will they will scatter. Kopayale of and all those who do evil. So we were learning that the meaning of this of this little verse is not only that, so first of all, who are called the enemies of God? So we learned that the enemies of God, which are are the enemies of your soul. The enemy, because remember, I'm just reviewing all the points. Well, last week we learned that the enemy of God is really the enemy of our own soul, because our soul is a piece of God. Every neshama, every soul is yudke vavke, it's a piece of God. Now, so therefore, the animal soul and the, the 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 dark side of the human being that wants to shut down the godly side, weaken the godly side, um, silence the godly side, and hold the neshama in captivity and not let it out of the not let it out of its out of its sacred little space and keep it kind of locked beyond our consciousness. 
So that's called an enemy of Hashem. It's enemy of Yud Kei doesn't want to allow the Yud Kei the divine, to express itself in our bodies. Now, um, but we learned the deeper reason, and that's why it's called Oyvecha Havaya, is because it wants to get close to the soul so it can steal energy from the soul. So in other words, we, we learned yesterday, I mean last week in the last class, that there's, I'm not going over everything. I, mean, I really suggest to everyone, if you're intrigued by this class, listen to part one, because that's what we discussed this at great length. It was a th- uh, over a three-hour class. So I, we're close to three hours. But listen to last week's class, this is a continuation. So um, it's not only a defensive one. It's provoked, usually, because it feels like the godly soul is going on offense. Then the animal soul gets threatened. But it's also offense. It's, it's, once it's defending itself, it goes full out. And what it wants is this to be not only to defend its territory, but it wants to get stronger. How does it get stronger? Because if, if it will cleave, if we create holy emotions, but then we don't guard these emotions, and the energy of the emotion leaks into our animalistic side, and then we, God forbid, pursue sinfulness or even just animalistic, godless things, but with extra energy that the uh, that our animal ego self would never have been able to produce, but it's our godly soul that is so godly is able to is participating because its energy, its love, and its passions are being misdirected towards towards unholy things. That means that the the unholy is gaining power from holiness, and that's the meaning of kine oivecha Hashem. They they're 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 the enemies who wanna they wanna they wanna hack they wanna hack the yudkevavke they wanna hack your soul and siphon the energy of the soul and steal it and misdirect it towards the cliff. But we learned last week there is a a line between the word oivecha and Hashem, which means that it's really not gonna there is a there is a if you look in the verse there is a a partition because there is a protection. That, that um, number one is to realize that when they're trying to hug the soul, it's not because they love the soul. <laughs> they're hugging the soul. They're coming close, but their intentions are to steal the energy. That's number one. So it's like when your enemy is coming to hug you, like Yaakov, you've got to be weary. He might want to pretend that he wants to kiss you, but he wants to bite you. Like Yaakov and Esau, when they met. Miracle happened that Esau couldn't, couldn't be, according to one opinion, he wanted to bite him. And he actually, God made that Yaakov's neck became hard like stone and Esau was crying because he actually bit into a stone and it caused him a lot of, it caused him a lot of pain. So he was crying when he kissed him. So when you see your enemy coming up and wanting to hug you, you got to be a little suspicious. What's the meaning of this hug? So um, this is the meaning of Kenevech Hashem. Be weary. The animal soul is getting close to your godly soul. Be weary. He's not necessarily, his intentions aren't good. But there's another point that he brings out is that he will fail. Because even if he steals energy, in the end, he's going to have to give it back. As long as we set ourselves on a journey to live a godly spiritual life, although there are moments in which some of our spiritual godly energy leaks into the other side, and that's part of the battle, part of warfare is you'll, you'll take a few losses. But as long, even if you lose the, the battle right now, you're going to win the war. And the end, the enemy is going to have to return all that which he has taken and then even more. That's what we learned. Now we also learned, this is also important, in order for us to understand where we're continuing over here, we are going to continue on 
So last week we also learned that um, when we said that the that the animal soul is the enemy of, of Hashem, is the enemy of your soul, we learned that that is manifesting literally in the literal sense that the negative thoughts that the animal soul is bouncing into our consciousness, the unholy thoughts that it's trying to distract us with, those thoughts, remember we learned last week, there is no such a thing as a thought that gets lost. All those thoughts are energies because they are, they are emanations of the soul, the spiritual energies, and they must find embodiment. And where do they become embodied? They can become embodied in, in, in demonic entities. In other words, a person creates their own demons, which is a scary thought, because the energies of their thought need to go into some kind of a vessel. So there are demonic entities that are created from a person's negative thoughts, and then they can harm a person while we're alive. They can, while the person is alive, we can have all kinds of, you know, it, it could be, you know, a person has anxieties and a person has fears and a person has all kinds of stuff. Sometimes you don't even know where it's coming from. It could be that, you know, there are, there are literally demons that are hacking your soul and, and making you crazy, which you're not aware of that are there and they're created by one's own negative thoughts. And even more so we learned that sometimes, so there we learned last week, we learned it, 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 a collaborate of, of thoughts. It has to be a bunch of thoughts together that can go in and create and, and become a life source. I guess there have to be thoughts of the same nature, the same impure thought. If you had it many times, it can actually enclose itself in some kind of a being that is embodying this this evil, this this, this darkness, this, this this sinfulness, and this becomes a menace in a person's spiritual life. And a lot of times, I don't want to go into this. I don't want to freak anybody out, but it does say that a lot of times, when a soul leaves the body, they find no rest because these they can be chased by their own thoughts, and the thoughts which be, have turned into like angels, some kind of demonic forces that literally um, um, bombard the soul. With, 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 and the soul finds no, no rest because it's when we're in a, when our soul's in our body, it can't see, it can't see these, these dark forces. Once the soul leaves the body, its vision is open and it can see the millions of demons that could be following it from its own thoughts, which is really scary. They're like mosquitoes and gnats and stuff that are biting at the soul, causing it enormous pain. Um, but in addition to that, we learned that very, very great souls. They have power that sometimes even one, one thought of them, impure thought, can become a soul of a physical human being down here. And that physical human being starts becoming a troublemaker in your life. So a person becomes, their own enemies could be created by their own negative thoughts. And that's why we understand why they're called kihine oivecha. Our, our enemies, the enemies of the person, which are the enemies of the soul, are from the negative, from the impure thoughts that a person had during prayer, during whatever. Now, during prayer, the, we understand since you're holding a middle prayer, so your energy flow is more intense. So, when you're thinking a negative thought, there is more vitality in that thought because if you're praying, especially if you're praying with intention, so there's more vitality of your godly soul is now being energy. In other words, your engine is on. And you and, and and you have and, and you and you're pressing on the gas, so it's it's actually the engine. You're giving gas. You're giving a lot of fuel. So the engine of your godly soul is very strong. So therefore, if it leaks into an unholy thought, that 
that can be much more damaging than if you're thinking the, the negative thought during the day. Because when you're not praying, because during the day you haven't turned on your, your godly soul yet. So there's not so much of your holy self being, being, being um, taken into captivity, being usurped. But if a person is feeling, getting these negative thoughts during prayer, it's terrible. That's why he's now coming to calm a person and saying, but you know what? The verse says that these enemies will, will, will disperse. This is what we're holding. This is on page Nun Aleph. So this is the opposite of page 100 in the book. Shari Tshuva, um, the, the page Nun Aleph. There is a parenthesis ending with the word Vidailamaven, and we're holding Vihine Mashakasaf. That's in the second column of Dafnunalaf. You have Dafnunalaf. You see Nunalaf? Okay, the second column. Oh, oh, like Mamish in the middle of the page, maybe a tiny bit closer to the top. There is a parenthesis ending with Vidal. Dalad Lamin. And then afterwards starts Vihine Mashakasaf. It's right under. It's right past 35. There's a there's a there's a note. You see the note 35? There's little numbers for 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 so right after 35 is where this starts. Now in the verse it says, Your enemies, God, will be will be destroyed. And then it says, They will scatter all those who do do evil. So what is the difference between your enemies, God, that will be destroyed? And those who do evil, how they will be scattered. In Yenhu, the idea is as follows. Because we explained earlier, that it's possible for there to be a full, complete soul can go into a body. When a person has a lots of, when a person has a lots of foreign thoughts, these impure thoughts can be, when they join together, they become, they can, there's enough energy there for them to become an entire soul of a of some kind of a being, either even a physical person in this world or a or a at least a demonic force. This is called your enemies who chase you. However, when the godly soul does not does not get frazzled by these attacks. And stays its course, and stays focused, and keeps on firing, keeps, and doesn't let the animal soul, you know, take him off track. And the godly soul keeps in the battle, in prayer, keeps focused. So they inevitably, since the, the godly soul is godly, the godly has to win. So when at the end the godly soul, if we don't throw in the towel, so if the godly soul keeps it, keeps its 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 focus, and in the end it overcomes the animal soul. What and and it gets a change of heart that even the animal soul, as we're going to learn later and a lot in the discourse, even the animal soul gets canceled and it too realizes the truth of what your soul is saying, your godly soul is saying, and it too recognizes and wants to be part of the godly experience. Which means a person is 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 um, you know um, has a a general uh, raising up of their consciousness. That they that they value the the meaning of life over the temporal things of life, and it's not only they they have a deeper self that that understands that they 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 manage to make that their ordinary consciousness that even their animal 
more physical animal self is also get is also uplifted and joined with the godly soul when that happens. Remember, we learned last week that fire can convert the water and turn the water into fire. The water can put out the fire and extract the fire and kind of make it part of the water. That's the point. The two souls want to completely transform the, the enemy. So when the godly soul is going to do that, what's going to happen with these earlier thoughts? Okay, from now on, my, my animalistic self is now part, is joined with my godly soul, but what's with the thoughts that I've read during the battle? Let's say it took me five months of prayer to get to that place. Deep meditated prayer. And now I remember I'm already feeling some relief. My animal soul is no more, has shown already signs of, of, of a change of heart. It's not resisting so much my God, my, my soul. Quite in the contrary, it's beginning to hear, it's beginning to join. So, but what happens with those five months, the earlier negative thoughts, which as we said earlier, were already released in this, into the, into the atmosphere and a thought never is destroyed. So it's clinging to me or it went into and it's already aliving a, some kind of a being. So what happens with these demons? That's what he's asking. So what happens is, so this is what happens. Once the source of emanation, the source that has created those thoughts has now been converted to holiness, then the thoughts itself are also retroactively redeemed. Because it's like those thoughts are still clinging to an... an they're like rays of, of, of the sun. So if the sun, if the sun, if the sun, let's say, would be black, it's not possible, but let's say, and its rays would be black rays. So if the sun is black, its rays are dark rays. But if the sun then becomes bright, so then it's even its earlier rays convert in accordance to the the source that that it went. Since the the source of those negative thoughts has now had a change of heart and is now no more a dark soul, because it's converted by the godly soul. So retroactively, all of its all of its thoughts that already have been created, they too change. So those thoughts also become now um, extracted and have a change of experience to be for God alone. The Ainzar Itai, and there's no more impurity there. There's no more, it's not, it's not estranged anymore into the into the foreignness of, of otherness. All the thoughts that the soul thought earlier, so two things happen. No, it, it seems like like this. The first thing he says is, the, 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 what I, the, the negative thoughts that a person was producing until now, he's not producing anymore. In other words, from now on and onward, if the soul itself is transformed, so it's thoughts that are going to come from it, they're also going to be only towards God. But how about all the, now he's addressing, how about all the previous thoughts that the, that the soul thought, which have a danger, as we spoke earlier, these are, these are, these are bubbles of energy that are floating in the atmosphere that are waiting to be enclosed into something. These are souls that are waiting to go into bodies. So he says, the first thing is that those that haven't gotten into bodies yet, for whatever reason, maybe it doesn't say it happens instantly, a thought will, these, these thoughts 
let's say a person can think a thought on Tuesday and it could be that for the next two, three weeks, it's still, it's still an energy. It has to find, it has to, it has to pair up with enough, enough energies to create a full fledged soul and then can, can, can incarnate in a body. I don't know who's in charge of this. I have no idea who's the one, obviously God on some level, obviously. But this is like how life works. We, we generate, we create. But he says, if the person eventually conquers his animal soul, so all his past thoughts that did not yet incarnate into bodies, so they will be canceled. In other words, we hit the leap and therefore they lose their thing and then they will not continue into bodies. So you're not afraid of these. You don't have to be scared that you've released these potential negative energies that might suddenly pop up as, as these creatures, these ugly creatures. They will be lost. They, they will be dis- they will be busted. They will be they will be nullified. Like impurity that gets gets thrown out, garbage. It like it's, it gets it gets it gets destroyed. Like the wicked being destroyed. And the reason why they they will disintegrate. How does that work? Is because once the person has a change of heart. And his godly soul gains mastery over the animal soul. We said before that the main energy in the, the main life force in these negative thoughts is the little bit of godliness that's there. But once the person manages to, 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 to change their animal soul, so what's happening, the sparks of godliness that went into those negative thoughts are extracted. What's left over? an empty, hollow energy without a deeper energy, without a godly energy. And therefore, that disintegrates. Because once there's no real life to it, it's not there. That's one of the powers of tshuva. Repentance. And as when you have a change of heart, you actually create, when a person has a deep remorse, regret, and contrition about negative things and negative thoughts that they've had, or negative behavior, or negative consciousness, or whatever it is, so we have the power to control the past, which means we can we we have an ability to, to to take the pieces of our soul that have been scattered into these thoughts and to reclaim them, pull them back out. When we have a deep a deep regret, and deep regret means that you uproot all. All foreign desire. Because what caused initially these 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 impure fantasies or whatever a person is like allowing their mind to go into? What's causing? What's causing is that I have a desire for these things. I have an animalistic desire for whatever whatever it is that's that, that that's causing and creating all these all these uh, all these impure thoughts. But now when I suddenly realize how, how that's so opposite of who I am, it's so much not what I want. And it bothers me that I was even able to entertain something like that. I realize I'm a godly being. I'm so much, I'm so holy. I'm so much a piece of God. Like what in the world am I busy with? Such stupidity, such a, and I really regret it. That regret is what you're really doing is you're uprooting your, your initial desire that you had. It's almost like you're reclaiming the desire. You're pulling it back. And that takes the sparks of yourself that you've put into it and pulls it out. 
you're sucking up the, the, the pieces of energy that you placed into it. Once those energies goes out, there's no, there's no life to it. It's like pulling the soul out. So it's dead energy. So what's left over there, is only, it's only the negative thought itself, but there's no more desire in that thought. The thought is still there, but there's no more passion in that thought. So the passion is out. It's just a, a withering leaf. It's a dead leaf. It's not connected to anything anymore. And then it's, well, the now that leftover, that leftover um, external impurity of the thought itself, that's not redeemed, but that disintegrates. This doesn't have a rectification. Instead, it's destroyed. And it's destruction, that's its rectification. Like it says, When the wicked are destroyed, it's a reason to celebrate. It's a reason to sing. That means that that which is absolute wicked in the world, that which is absolute evil and wicked in the world, um, has no has no rectification. Like a Amalek must be destroyed. The evil monsters who perpetrated uh, October 7th, they need to be destroyed. And no one should shed a tear when they're destroyed. The evil when the wicked are destroyed, because the world can live with a cancer. This is pure wickedness. It needs to be destroyed. So that's what he's saying, leftover. We can take out whatever is good inside of it, but once you've taken out and sucked out whatever is good, the remaining evil is not redeemable anymore, just must to be flushed down the toilet. There's nothing left to it, just, just destroyed. We'll see that when we, before Mashiach comes, you're seeing that that's, the world is left over with pockets of pure evil. Those pockets of pure evil, there's nothing to extract of. There's no good potential. Yichya Sinwar today said, speak, spoke, pure evil. He said that what happened October 7th, God forbid, this was only a rehearsal, he said. This is nothing. Imagine that. After the whole world sees the most atrocious atrocities that are just unbearable even to think, he's saying that this is only a rehearsal. This is, we're only practicing to what's going to be and what's going to continue. So what are you going to do with someone like that? A monster like that, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to negotiate, you're going to talk, you're going to try to speak to his heart. You know, the Israelis saved him. Yeah, guy had cancer in his brain. He, the, the lady, I, I watched an interview. The woman, the Israeli woman, who literally was his, I think she was his lawyer, she was a, he was crying to her, save my life. The moment he was healed and they, they, did the, they did their operations and they removed his brain tumor or whatever it was, Israel did it. He stood up and he said, well, this is your job. This is what you have to do. And then he goes and turns around and stabs Israel in its back, killing 1,200 people in the most murderous, most despicable way, and still announces that he's going to do it again and again and again. I mean, like, what, what, kind, of, what, kind, of, what kind of monster is this? So what are you going to, so we see that there is certain evil that has no rectification. It just needs to be destroyed. And this itself is their fixing. There is no other fixing of it other its destruction. But that's only pure, pure evil. The redeemable energies that are still there, 
you can still redeem. So the part of your holy soul that you put in, so we have to differentiate between the the the, the, the words themselves that a person has been thinking, let's say, negative thoughts of impurity, of sinful thought, let's say. Those, those, that image or that creation that you created in your mind, that's impure. You can't fix that. What you can do is you can take your own investment that you invested, your desire in it, you can extract that desire by regretting the desire. And then you pull the desire out. So you take the soul of it to take out, but the leftover, the garbage of it, the pure evil of it, that just disintegrates. Like there is a marshal that says about the bloodsucker. There are certain parasites that they live off blood. But the way they work is that they bite. They, 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 they take out the blood of something. But they take out what people used to use um, these bloodsuckers, these, what do they call them? They call them um, leeches for healing. So you put them, and what they're doing is, there used to be the understanding that there's a certain element in the blood that's psoles. It's not good blood. And when you put the leeches on, they will take out that, I don't know how it works with modern medicine, but that used to be a healing. We put them. But these leeches would take out the blood and then they die. Which means the clippers take you know, they attack a person, they take out him, but in the end it collapses, it dies. The 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 wicked dies in its own evil. The sages say, in the future, God is gonna slaughter the evil inclination. That means ultimately the leftover evil, after everything is extracted, you we will see an evil that has no rectification but being actually completely obliterated. This is what it means, your enemies, God, shame them, bitter, that don't have any more rectification. You have They're going to be destroyed completely. But then, what does it mean? They will scatter. And it says, they will scatter all those who do evil. As it, as, as it refers to a person's own negative thoughts. This is referring to all negative thoughts. There's a certain, what happens with those thoughts that you're only winning the battle way after these thoughts have already found vessels to incarnate, have already entered into bodies, whether spiritual types of demons or whether they've already created a physical person in this world. And these have become demonic beings. Or persecuting angels. The Yasada Adam in order to inflict the person on the right and to pursue him. And these are called the inflictions of people. Certain inflictions that a person created their own inflicting angelic dark angels that are literally prosecutors against the person and and can and and can do all kinds of damage to, to a person. They can cause spiritual problems. As we said, they can probably create anxiety and other dark things that happen to people. Certain, Maybe it's possible that certain me- mental illness and so on and so forth is associated with these inflicting negative forces that are kind of, I'm not saying it was a person created themselves, but it's possible. 
or even physically. Canal, like we said earlier, that sometimes a person's own enemies that are making up that, that can drive a person crazy or bring all kinds of trouble to a person could be that this is a person that you, that, a, that this this person was being created fifty years, forty years ago by one's own negative thoughts. Omar, but now we say shagam gufim. So on these, you can't say the yoved will be destroyed because they're already in bodies. So there's a certain container that's shielding them. I'm not going to drop that instantly. The thoughts that are still floating in the air, once you take this, once you take the godliness out of them, it will completely disintegrate. But but those that were incarnated already in a body, those so what, what happens with them? Yisperdu. It says they will scatter. Pidish. Even though they have already enclosed themselves in body. But their main power is when they come as groups. The main power is when they converge as a mob. But they can't, even though they're still there, they can't do bad. Why? In other words, if a person created monsters, these monsters are powerful when they all come together. These demons work in groups. But when these demons are scattered and they're each one on their own, they don't have power. For example, we're looking at the world today, we see that uh, so many of the the dangerous stuff are going on by mobs of people. Mobs. Protesting from the river to the sea, coming with with groups, with that. They strengthen each other with a a powerful, with with a group, with a whole, with a whole Convergence. But once they're scattered and there's nothing bonding, so there's no harm coming from them. Rizal, the sages say that for the righteous people, that when the righteous people gather together, it's good for them and good for the world. For the wicked, it's better if they're not gathered. For wicked, it's better for them and better for the world if, they're, if each one is in their own place. If the wicked have a conference, if the wicked get together to, in one place, it's trouble. For example, today's days we know that when the UN is call, calling an emergency meeting, an emergency, uh, what do they call it? They have these, these names for it. An emergency, uh, whatever, then you know it's bad for the world. <laughs> The simple wicked, like we see, uh, they pretend to be righteous, but they're they're mamish wicked, literally wicked. Because it's the gathering of all these negative thoughts. This creates a whole multitudes of people that stand up to hurt a person, to oppose them. But when they are scattered and separated. In in one, they don't have power. When they come as as a whole mob, that's when they're dangerous. If they're standing on their own, and the reason why they're only they're only powerful as a mob is because they they're spewing lies. Something that stands for truth. 
something that is real and true, even one has a lot of power because you, because the truth is behind you. But if all you have is lies, so you have to show up with a bunch of people carrying banners and shouting all together loud, you can shout a lie. You get strength because you have each one is backing each other. But if you stand for truth, you can stand, you have, you have, you have the, the truth behind you. You have, you have something substantial behind you. So evil has to come in a mob, in the many. But if they're scattered, when it's only one of them coming against, it becomes, becomes completely blown away. And that's why we also say in our prayers, Kuma Hashem, get up God, and your enemies will scatter. And that's enough. Once the enemies are scattered, they're harmless. So even if they're still there, but they're harmless. When the godly soul stands up, Kuma Hashem doesn't only mean get up God in heaven. We're saying get up when the godliness inside each and every one of us, when our own Hashem inside of us makes a stand, gets up firmly and says, I am a godly ambassador to this world. I am full of light. I'm full of goodness. I'm full of, 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 of holy energy. And I, and I have the power to do so much good in this world. When you make a firm stand like that, and you, you, you especially we're going to learn in the Mimer later, amazingly how this works. What happens, the other side falls. And it scatters. That's the meaning. When there is a complete building up of an entire um, structure in holiness, that means that a person meticulously works in developing themselves, their godly self. Which means they have a holy desire, holy intelligence, holy emotions. That means you take time and energy to develop your, your spiritual side, your godly side. Omidas and emotions. What happens? The other side scatters. When do they have strength? When the godly soul is weak and not developed. So what does the verse says? Kuma Hashem. That when the godliness takes a full upright posture, then the enemy scatters. Then on the other side, it causes them to run and to scatter in all directions. That, and now we'll understand the two parts of the verse. Those negative thoughts that never entered bodies, that are still floating energies, they're potential souls for a body. Potential demons, but they're not yet incarnated in any kind of body. They will be, they can be completely nullified. But even those who came into bodies will somehow, whichever level bodies they are, will scatter. So what does it apply today? Who knows who created and how we created all these all these anti-Israel rallies, and their power is in what? Just in their numbers. On the colleges and so on and so forth. When we, the Jewish people, wake up to our Jewishness in a very powerful way, 
we strengthen our prayer, our Torah study, our mitzvah observance. We become connected to each other in love. We unify. We become a powerful structure of holiness. Then, even all the negativity that we might have created from our disputes and from our sinfulness and from our negative thoughts and negative speech and all that might have created all these all these little little anti-Jewish anti-Semites, <laughs> not Jewish anti-Semites, all these anti-Semites that are around, so we realize that, that they won't be able to get together. In other words, they, they scatter, they lose their, 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 uh, their energy is only in their coming together. So, oh, and he said, that's the way it is in every physical war. Shahar ben Erogin, when, we, when, when a war takes place, many of the enemy dies, is killed. Venevadim legamri, and they're completely destroyed. But others run, and they run in all directions. Vahar ben others, the futsim vinisparzim. The army scatters and they run away because so are those. And that's the way it is. So when the godly soul finally wins the battle, so what happens to on the on the spiritual, on the psycho, on the psychological level, what happens to the enemies? Many of them are killed. And others, even if they can't be destroyed completely, but they're scattered and they become harmless. That's the point. They will be scattered and they will escape. However, he says, Now, this whole idea that there is, that after the war is over. What you will find is either corpses of the enemy sprawled out all over. And you will find those who manage to run and hide and escape. That means there's still a possibility of a leftover enemy. It's just that you would destroy, either you kill them or you scatter. But they weren't, they weren't transformed. They were killed or scattered. That's today's balance. And spiritually as well, with our own animal, with our own own internal demons, when we when when we per, per, when we prevail with our holy consciousness over our our dark side, over our impure consciousness, we will find that certain elements that was once part of our being had been like completely dead, are completely knocked out. And other things, even though they remain, but they remain kind of in isolation. But in the future, that all demonic forces, including predatory animals, there's a verse in Isaiah that says, they will not do any harm anymore. And there won't be any more violence. Because the world will be filled with knowledge. And even those who used to be predatory, and even those who used to be evil, if they survive into that time, they will be good. Because in that time, everything will be converted to goodness. And so much so, that it will affect even the physical animals. The verse says, a lion, who is a predatory animal, will have a complete change of nature. It will behave like cattle, that eat straw. Animals will also become very, 
wild predatory and carnivores will become vegetarians. The guards have in Kevis, and a wolf and a sheep will live together. Upada vidoy and a cow and a beer will also yachtov, will, 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 I think it says, will raise their cubs together, their animals together, their children together. And that is because when Mashiach is going to come, the divine consciousness is going to accelerate and is going to increase in the world and become so and so, 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 so um, tangible that it's even the animals are going to feel it. Because the glory of God is going to become so strongly felt. So even a lion will not have the will not have the the self um equal the, the sense of self-importance that it can rip away the life of another creature just because it's hungry. So it's gonna have to eat food that it's not destroying. Why? Because it's gonna sense God. It will diminish the ego of that lion, the self. Now, obviously, in a sense, not, a lion killing an animal is not evil. But it's a derivative of the fact that you can be so absorbed in self that you can make another living being your lunch. That's negative. That's a problem. And when Mashiach comes, even animals will, will change that. Obviously, people, humans, which have a far greater capacity for, 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 for a higher awareness, are going to be intensely aware of God. So there won't be any wicked people in at all. That's going to happen after all we finish refining the world. It says, at that point it says regarding all the nations of the world, that all the nations will be converted to serve God. Hashem says, then I'm going to convert and flip over. All the nations suffer Beruda with a clear tongue. Therefore, we won't have to continue with a war. All of them will be in a complete state of nullification. Like it will be explained, how we can achieve that messianic state today, that's the meaning of the verse when it says, he redeemed in peace my soul. Redeeming in peace means, see, the redemption that we spoke about before, which was a war, and you finally overcome these this, this by firing your godly convictions onto your animal soul. There's a give and a take and a back and a forth. That's the way it is today. But King David is saying, you redeemed my soul in peace, which means that the way the way the battle ends is with a powerful peace. Not with slaughtering the other side. There's a peace. And what happens to the enemy? Suddenly the enemy is not there anymore. A minute before the enemy was like a formidable enemy was impossible. So the enemy is gone, and not only is he gone, meaning not that it died, it suddenly ceased to be an enemy. And suddenly it had a complete change of heart and was converted. That means you were redeemed in peace. That's a messianic type of a redemption. The Rebbe is going to explain over here how every single person can achieve that in their own spiritual service. That's within us activating our soul. There's levels of activation of soul. There is a lower level of activation in which you win the battle, but it's a bloody battle. And what are you left over in the end? But a lot of corpses 
and a lot of refugees and people who ran away. But they still oppose you, but they're kind of now scattered. A higher level is, as he's go, that's the whole point of this discourse, is to reveal and bring to us that there's a higher level of, of, uh, of opening up one's soul that you don't have to, that the end result is a complete change of heart of the animal soul and everything that it presents. Let's see. So now he says, we're holding chapter 5. Now this whole idea of this war, of the godly soul with the animal soul. Basically, let me tell you what he's going to say. He's going to say that within our soul itself, there's the lower part of the soul that is enclosed in the body. Remember, one of the concepts we've been learning a lot is that the soul has five names. Nefesh, Ruch, Neshama, Chayachida. These are five names in the soul. Three amount, the soul doesn't need five names because these are different dimensions of soul. Talking about not the animal soul, talking about pure godly soul, our spirit, our, our soul that's, that's attached to heaven, it's a piece of God from above, it has five names. The lowest is, is Nefesh, and five names means five dimensions. Five levels of experience. The first three are fully integrated into our consciousness. And they're enclosed in our body. One part of the soul is enclosed in our hands and feet. Primarily in our liver. From our liver in our hands and feet. That's more the nefesh part of our soul. A higher level of our soul is rooted in the heart. Which that is the the emotional, not the practical element of our soul, the emotional element of our soul, and then the intellectual element of the soul is 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 is, is vested in the brain. These are three powers of soul which are in the body. When we activate, when our spiritual experience only involves these three levels of our soul, then then. The, how, the, the effect of how it interacts with our unholy consciousness, with our animalistic self, is through a matter of war. The two wrestle and fight with each other. You have holy ideas, you have holy convictions, you're thinking about the reasons and the logic of why you should be a, devoting your life to, to, to godly things, but you will experience a, a counter logic. The animal soul will counter it. will explain why, uh, why he wants to dismiss it. If you have a holy love of God, You'll experience a, a, counter, a, a counter love, a love for, for, for whatever it is, a, a, a material, physical pleasure, kosher or even non-kosher. So here's where the battle takes place. In other words, you'll get the argument from both sides. It's like two people arguing in, in a debate. One will make its argument, one will make that counter argument, back and forth, back and forth. Tonight there was a big debate. I didn't get to look at all to see it. Between uh, Newsom from uh, from California and and uh, what's his name? No, the other guy in Florida. What's his name? Go <laughs> out of my head. Anyway, so they're, they're debating: red state versus blue state, Democrat versus Republican. So so it is two 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 different outlooks. 
there's, he'll make his arguments, he'll make your argument. That's called the war. It's, it's a back and a forth. But then there's higher level of souls, the transcend, transcendental aspects of our soul. The transcendence of our soul are our, the part of our soul that's, doesn't manifest in any particular part of the body. It's the encompassing powers. It's more associated with life itself, not the powers of experience, of intellect, emotions, but the force of life itself. And that is equal in the entire body. The fact that you're alive. There's no difference. It's not like the head has more life than your feet. Life is everywhere. So that's called the encompassing energies of the soul. That itself, there are two levels. A lower encompassing level called Chai and a higher encompassing level, Yechid. So in the next couple of chapters, he's going to develop that when we open up our consciousness to the higher levels of the soul, then the animal soul concedes immediately. It throws its, it throws in the towel, it gives up because it knows it can't fight. And your redemption then is a redemption of peace. And on two levels, one of them, it becomes, in one level, the animal soul is just realizes it stands no chance because the, because the godly soul is using B-52 carpet bombers. It's coming over so strong that the animal soul can't even run out and shoot with its little gun over there, a couple of shots because it's overwhelmed by the power of the godly soul. If you activate the big guns, that's basically what you're doing. If you're, if you're suddenly opening up to your such an intense divine consciousness that the animal soul is just, just, it can't even, it can't argue on it. It's too intense. It's too powerful. That's one level. Then there's even a deeper level where it's not overwhelmed by the enormity of the, 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 of the godly of this, of the holy experience. Rather, you go even deeper than that. And you discover and you recognize or you reveal that your very identity, your very I, not even your will, your I is divine. And when you can dig out such a deep, such a deep attachment to God, where it's not I desire God with a with a with a powerful, with a powerful, limitless desire. Not even what I desire. I am him. I am one with God. I'm inseparable. My entire being is canceled in God's infinite light. I'm totally one with the infinite. I'm one with God. And that's my identity. When that happens, there's no animal soul to begin with. It's, it's not overpowered. It's like as if it never was. And that's the ultimate peace. Where it's, it's, you don't even have a memory of ever having a war because it's as if it never existed, as he shall explain. Now these, I just gave you a very brief introduction. Let's read as we lean inside, this will become clear. I think in Israel, the only way that's going to resolve this conflict right now is that the Jewish people in Israel need to wake up to their very identity and claim their connection to the land of Israel and their right to, to live there with this type of a conviction of their very, very existence, and then we will see that the Arabs and the and the Palestinians will disappear in a minute. It's because our they sense weakness because 
there is a possibility somewhere for negotiations. We're going to be, we can live side by side. We can make a, 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 a two-state solution. We can live together. Where, where there is weakness and where there is negotiations and where there is, if it's not going to come from ultimate truth, Israel was given by God to the Jewish people. This is our land. And, we, and we're not going anywhere. And we're, not, and we're not here in this world to die as martyrs. That's not our thing. The Arabs want to do that, let them do that. They want to live over here to die and do, be suicide bombers. That's their business. We didn't come here to die. We came here to live. And to live as proud Jews in this world and bring godliness into this world. The land that God gave us is the land of Israel to live there. And we're not going anywhere. Now, we know and we recognize that there is an enemy that, will, that, that is an existential threat to our existence in the land of Israel. So we are recognizing right now that our existence, that this is our identity. And to us, it's, it's live or die. It's scorch earth. If Israel would stand, if Netanyahu would speak that way one time, and if the entire Israel would say that, and that our take to this land is infinitely, has an infinite force behind it. God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob gave us this land. And you're not getting an inch, not an inch of territory. It's non-negotiable. They know Israel is a million times stronger than them, especially with God's backing. War is over. It's gone. It's gone. It's over. It's only because Jewish people are afraid to be Jews. Jewish people are afraid to declare to the entire world who we are. So, you know, Holocaust, people killed us. We don't be one. We need a place. Whatever. So we lived over here. We tried giving the Arabs already uh, the land. We tried. They didn't want. Well, now, now we have no choice. Hamas is bad. All this, all this, all this ridiculous. It's so weak. And precisely because it's weak, the whole world can give pressure. And we're, and we're in a cycle that we can never get out of. Where basically, they attack, they kill viciously. They hide behind, they hide behind innocent civilians. We have no choice, but we have to go and fight back because we can't let them come back next week. Like Sinwar says, I'm going to murder another. And I'm not, I've murdered, 12, I murdered 1,200. 1200. Next time I want to do 3,000, God forbid. So what are we going to let this contain? So we have to go back and fight. But the terrorist hides behind women and children. We go there and we kill the terrorists. We inevitably are going to kill women and children. What do you want us to do? There's no other way to clean up the murderers without, without going in there. There's no other way to do it. Because they are embedded themselves over this. So we have no choice. So we go back there. But then the whole world screams, Oh, what are you doing? And then our hands are tied. So then we do a half jump. And the terrorists still continue existing. And what do they do? They don't go to sleep. They're already planning their next attack. 
You're never going to get out of this. You're literally never going to get out of it. The UN is going to put pressure. The, 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 the US uh, State Department is going to put pressure. The European Union is going to put pressure. And it's all because Israel is not speaking the way Israel needs to talk. Non-negotiable. Fartik, it's far Yiddish Fartik means it's over. This is our land, the entire land. Like they say from the river to the sea. The entire land is our land. It's going to be ours forever. We are planning to live here forever. We're not going anywhere. God gave us a right to this land. We are the biggest contributors to the world and everything. We have a right to exist. We're here. And if you don't like it, go jump in the middle. That's it. And we're going to fight for our very existence over here. And if we speak that way, then Biden can't do any pressure. State Department can't do any bad, and, and everybody, everything will change. It's the same idea. It's the idea of, you know, if you're coming with logic and reasons, and you're already getting, stepping in with, with, with negotiations. And then you've lost the fight even before you start. Because you're outnumbered and you're outgunned and you're out, but you see, you see, this is. I think there's a parallel over here between the, the 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 internal war that's going on in each and every one of us. But here's is another thing: I can't control what Netanyahu is going to do, or what the Israeli government is going to do. I can't control it. They're embarrassed, for whatever reason, to say to the world, "We are a godly people," and God gave us the land of Israel, because they call themselves secular Jews. So they're uncomfortable with getting up there. Because if they are a holy people, so why are you not in Netanyahu? Why are you not wearing a kippah? If you're, a, if, you're a, if you're coming from the way, where's your kippah? Why are you not keeping Shabbat? Why are you not? So if you're a godly people, live like a godly people. So they're uncomfortable doing that. So what do they do? And our claim to the land is based on the, U, the UN resolution of 1948. Well, the UN resolution of 1948 gave the Palestinians also a, a, a land. Okay. All right, they attacked. Then we have to make the argument. They attacked us first. And now we're attacking back. Okay, but what gives you all right? The whole thing is so weak. It's because they don't have the strength to make the full claim, to claim their identity as Jews. So I can't make Netanyahu have a change of heart. He's not listening to my class. (laughs) This is what the Rebbe was screaming, that Israel must state the truth. But what I could do, this is what I could do, and you could do, and all those that identify with what I'm saying over here in this class. I have my own land of Israel. And that's my body. Within my body, I have the Palestinian voice that says about my body that this body is mine. That means this is my territory. I live over here not as a Jew. I live over here as a, as 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 a not 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 with coming from a Jewish living a Jewish godly life. This is my land, my godly soul has been trying to tell me for the last fifty years that this is a godly life. 
my hands, feet, and body, and everything about my life should be purely for the for God. There's a place up here in my mind that says, let's negotiate a deal. Let's divide the land. Let's, let's work it out. A couple of hours a day, I'll do I'll do godly things. A couple of hours a day. No God. No, no, there's no this this not a holy land. This is a land like any other land. Call it Palestinian. And what we will do over here is I don't have to eat kosher. I can eat halal, semi kosher. Semi kosher. Halal is like semi kosher. <laughs> so the question is, how do I fight my evil inclination that wants to lay claim on my body and say that this land is his land? I need to say, like the American song, oh, this land is my land. I need to claim that this is the land of my soul. So how will I make that claim? Am I coming to the table with negotiations? Am I sitting and talking and saying, you know, let's make a truce. Let's exchange prisoners. Let's, 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 let's do, you know, you know. <laughs> Or do I have the strength to declare with absolute declaration? I'm talking about for 50 years, I haven't made that declaration. 50 years, I experienced our times that I'm giving a class, times that I'm experiencing other things. We're all that way. We wiggle over here and wiggle over there. Question is, are we ready to stand up and make and, and announce regarding our own lives that this is sacred life 24-7. Everything in my life has to be about God because what's my true being? I am a godly being. I am a piece of God from above. I can't forget about God for two hours a day and then that, that doesn't work. Because you know what happens? If I try to leave a little piece of land and give it over to Gaza, Give the little piece in Gaza inside of me to the Hamas. In that case, meaning to my evil inclination, to my to my Yetzirah, I'll leave a little piece in my life that's not filled with godly content. The evil inclination is going to use that territory to build tunnels and to amass rockets and to, and to fight even the part of me that's trying to be God. Because the two of them cannot live together in peace and The godly soul and the unholy soul cannot make a truce. If you think you're going to make a truce, we're going to be going for round one. And we, we, we've done this already. We did it in 1948. We did it in 57. I think we did it in 60. We did it in 67. We did it in 72. We did it in 82. I think it was the Beirut War. We did it in, in the Antifadas. We did it in the, in the, how many wars that we're going to fight? And to keep again and again, and it's the same dispute, and nothing has changed. Israel had more wars in the last year than anybody else. So what does that mean? In our own lives, we're going to keep, we're never going to get anywhere. It's time. So I'm asking like, what we can do. It's time that we reveal within ourselves our higher, deeper, godlier side. Which to that force of our higher, deeper, higher than, there's no counter-arguments. There's no arguments. I don't even want to hear an argument. There's no, there's no one to talk. There's no debate. 
There's no negotiation. Negotiation is off the table. I don't know who you are. Get out of here. You're, you're, you don't belong here. My life is too sacred and too holy for me to be bullied around by by your ridiculous ego. Who do you think you are? Get out of here. Don't even, don't even come here. I don't even know who you are. That's the point. And when we do it in ourselves, hopefully we will cause it to happen to Israel as well. The way I'm seeing this whole discussion. So let's read it inside. They call Indian Mulchama now this whole war. The nefshul kiss and nefshul Bahamas of the godly soul with the animal soul loishayach rak bechelik is only possible in the part of the nefshul kiss, the part of the godly soul, and the lubish beguf that's enclosed in the body. This is the spirit, the ruach, and the neshama shabash. Which is an internal light, or bekeli. It's a light that vests itself in a vessel. Bekli hagbala. It's a limited energy. In the prayer of the Shema, it says, "You should love God with all your heart, love God with all your soul, and love God with all your might." So, loving God with all your heart means to love God with the part of our soul that's enclosed in the heart. Which means the narrow, the part of our soul that is that is that is able to fit that goes into a container, into a vessel. Since it goes into a vessel, its love for God is based on a reason, all limited, and therefore, even when it gets excited about God, it's with a limited conviction. The limited conviction there can be a counter argument, as we'll see in a moment. So this love is going to create a war. It's good that we're fighting. It's good that you're making the arguments. Possible that a person gives up and they don't even make an argument. They allow the animal soul to completely trample their entire life. They allow themselves to be governed completely by their evil inclination or by the their materialistic animal. And that's it. Life is just mundane. There's nothing there. And they live, God forbid, more like, like a hedonistic life. So it's good that we're fighting. But the fighting is a very weak fighting. That's the point. When your love is only with all your heart, it's not really going to change the animal soul. Nafshecha is a higher type of a love. As we're soon going to see. And love God with all your soul. Here it's interesting. He says that the love of the nefesh ruach neshama of the lower three enclosed parts of the soul are called with all your heart and with all your soul. Duni's going to say that the, all your soul seems to, is, is already the level of Chaya. But the more transcendental parts of the Neshama, the level called Chaya and the level called Yechida, that's in the godly soul. That is not limited as a, as a light in a vessel. Because rather, it's an encompassing energy. This is the great love. The With all your might. As it is known. 
over there you can't have a war. You can't speak of a war. with the animal soul because the animal soul cannot go up against this. This shuts the animal soul up completely. Not only that, it completely dismantles it and completely consumes the animal soul. There's no animal soul. And the explanation of the matter is, I just want to give you something from the very end of the discourse. So just that you get what, that we get what he's talking about. If we can only open up our consciousness to this level of soul, it's the essence of our godly soul is exposed. Not, see, the soul has the soul itself, and then there is the experiences of the soul. The desires of the soul, the logic of the soul, the, the emotions of the soul. So the emotions, the logic are limited energies. The desire of the soul is a limitless energy, but it's still a desire. But then there's the very identity of the soul, which usually we're not conscious of. But if we can open ourselves up to, to a level of, of consciousness, to experience that our very I, our very identity of being, is our godly soul. That means my life is spirituality. My life is not physical. I do, I do physical things with my, with, with my physical body as a means to live a spiritual life. But it's all spiritual. There's not, my life, my, my, let alone my desire, I, I know, and the person loses all desire and physical pleasure. Not only that, there's no pleasure anymore in the physical. There's nothing pleasure. In other words, the only pleasure becomes the relationship with God. Don't think it's, it's a lessening of pleasure. It's a million gazillion times more pleasurable because anything in the godly is so much. You become a complete godly being on earth. So he can, he's going to say something so intense. What happens is you never feel any pain from anything of the material world. Nothing can bring you down. Nothing can cause anger. Because he's going to bring a proof in the end of the discourse. He's going to say, sometimes if you don't know if you still have an attachment to the material physical pleasures, you can't know it from trying to figure it out from, from the pleasure side. You have to look at the opposite side. If when you don't have it, it causes you pain. If it causes you frustration and pain, that means that you still have a pleasure there. Because pain and pleasure are two opposites. Wherever there's pleasure, a lack of that causes pain. Okay? But then he comes and he says something so powerful. He says, the art sadiqa. Now, this is a very high level. This is obviously such a high level. Whose, whose, whose identity of their soul has so permeated their entire being. There's nothing in their existence that's not, that's not that godly identity to the point that it becomes literally their physical sensation becomes only their soul. So much so that when physical pain is inflicted on their body and it's as a result, the physical pain is, is, is being inflicted on their body, but it's in, 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 in conjunction with a mitzvah it's a conjunction with a mitzvah. That means that while they're doing a mitzvah, their body is hurting, should be hurting. Because they have such a pleasure in the mitzvah, in the connection to God, they don't feel any pain of the body. 
any pain. Because the, 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 their identity is only their soul. Now, if there's no mitzvah being done and they just have a physical pain, if their head is hurting, their head is hurting. Now, what do I mean by that? If they're doing a mitzvah and the mitzvah is causing them the discomfort, they don't feel the pain. They feel only pleasure. And the, and the most radical and the most intense idea of this, and, and this is why I want to say how far this can go. So he brings, are the 10 martyrs. When they were killed by the Romans and the Romans tortured them to death, the good news is they didn't feel any pain. Because they were so in, 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 in touch with the pleasure of the mitzvah of sacrificing themselves for the sanctification of God's name. A mitzvah that, you can all, that they can only do once in their life. You know, give your life up. You can only do once. If they kill you once, they can't kill you more than once. The pleasure of that is so intense that they didn't feel physical pain. When he, they, were, they were literally peeling off his flesh of his body with metal. We can't even imagine what kind of horrific torture. He continued saying the word to hold his soul because he wanted to hold on to experience longer. Now generally, if you're under such duress, you want to die fast. Rabbi Akiva was holding on to the Echad because he was quelling in the enjoyment. All his life he said, I wanted to do this mitzvah and I'm doing this mitzvah. How can someone be that? Is he not human? The answer is, he has so lived a life where his entire existence became his pursuit, his godly soul. His animal soul and animalistic physical consciousness became completely included in his godly soul. So it wasn't possible for him anymore to feel any kind of separation between his body and his soul. His body was completely a vehicle for the soul. So if the soul is now in ecstasy because of a mitzvah, he didn't even feel pain. Obviously, this is the highest level of such, of such a, such so such a revelation of the essence of the soul in the body. But this is where he's going with this discourse to show us how we can open ourselves up higher and higher to it and reach a point where there's no more battle, there's no more other side. For that, one has to get past your, our relationship with God cannot just be it's almost like a person, as, as long as a person maintains the idea that what? I am neutral. I, my identity, who I am as a being, I'm neutral. I have inclinations and leanings towards spirituality. I have inclinations towards material pleasure. I don't have to say that. I know that I have two souls or two, and there's a battle taking place, and we'll see. You know, if I study and I learn, I lean more towards spirituality. That I'm that I might have a day or two or a week or so of of a more spiritual existence. And if I don't pay so much, if I don't develop that, and I allow myself, then I go this way. If I don't declare and I don't us identify. With who I really am, if I don't, if I don't reveal at the depth of my being, the core of my identity, 
and I and I and I allow it to be a battle of ideas instead of instead of an expression of my essence, I'll always be in the battle. Can't be just ideas. Our relationship with God can't just be coming from convictions of the mind. That's too weak. The mind is only it's it's the mind is not you. The mind is a power in you. And then the animal soul has its own opinions. And there is a and there is a debate going on. All your life you can have this debate. So the whole point of the discourse is to unearth our soul, to dig it out from a very deep place, and to elevate our consciousness into the superconsciousness. Where our very being is our godly identity. That's the idea. And the explanation of the matter. Now, this is he's going to use a whole lot of words to explain this. So bear with me. And we have a lot to cover today. So I'm going to put the pedal to the metal now. And I hope from what I explained till now, we'll be able to get, understand this better. This is, it's, it's known and it's understood. That there is, regarding the, the, the life force of the soul and the body, there's two levels of, of the soul and the body. One is called an internalized light. That means it's the light and the and the flow of the soul and the and the energy of the soul. That is particularized in the limbs of the body. and every organ, according to its temperament. And according to its chemistry, different parts of the body have a different have a different nature. The, the, the chemistry of the brain, the 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 the, the what is it? not not the chemistry the the what was the word I'm looking for the um, the matter of the brain, the composition of the brain is made of a different type of refined type of matter, the gray matter of the brain. It's not the same. It's 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 different than the other parts of the body, right? And so on. So because God, the body is created in a way so that each part of the body can facilitate different spiritual, different powers of the soul. So the intelligence can go. The, the gray matter of the brain is a seat for the intelligence. The heart is a seat for the for the for the, for the physically. It has its function of being the major pump that pumps the blood, circulates the blood. But it's also the 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 the, the lungs and the heart, the, the respiratory um, 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 the oxygen flows. And over there, it also is a seat for the emotions. The blood, which is fiery and passionate, the blood, which is, um, you know, intense, is, is, is physically a vessel for emotions to go in. Because emotions are excitement, and that's what the blood is, which is primarily seated in the heart. And so on, each part of the body fits and suits a different particular power. But these are all particular powers. That's the point. Orpnimi means particular powers of the soul, spiritual energies that are vested in vessels because they're not infinite. They're, they're, they're particularized powers. Like in the container of the brain, 
That's where the intellect resides. With the clear iron, and the eye is made up of a type of a, of a material. The eye, take a look. The eye is a different type of material than any other part of the body because it's created to be able to capture the spiritual power of vision, is able to be go into the into the eye only because the eye is made up of material that's different than than the nose or any part of the body. Of the clear eye and in the physical eye, Mishkan Araria, that's where the power of vision of the soul dwells in. Okay, I gavna. In this energy, the way it comes into the body is it it gets limited, it gets contracted. It goes into various different vessels. In the limbs of the body, and, and, and those limbs of the body are, are exactly, or rather the spiritual energies that flow are tailored and are conditioned only according to the nature of the body. I don't know where my copy went, the other copy goes. It's had in It's matching up the Orpnimi the Until it gets lessened and lessened, until you get to the least the more coarser the body becomes, the lower parts of the body have less sophisticated powers of the soul. Then you have the toenails, which, because they're so external, there's very little life of the soul in them. Very, as explained elsewhere. So that's a tailored energy that's tailored to each part of the body. But that there is an encompassing energy of the soul. The soul prior to the soul's descent into details. The life force of the soul as the soul is before it does any adaptations. It's a pure, powerful force of life. That doesn't mitigate itself to the body. And that, it does enliven the body. But the entire body equal. The brain is alive. The nose is alive. Your stomach is alive. Your legs are alive. Feet, the whole body is alive equally. Because this is not adjusting and adapting. It remains in its and it's all-encompassing. And that's why we call it, even though it's inside the body, it's called hovering over the body. Because the point over here is that it's not, it's not constricted in accordance to the capacity of the limbs of the body. This is the main source, and this is the source. From this general soul, the soul itself, the person himself, the spiritual person himself, from there comes the particular powers. The, the intelligence, which is it's one of its powers, goes into the brain. And it causes them from that place, that, that's like the headquarters or the source, from where the individual powers, each one registering in a different part of the soul. Based on this, it's understood. That this source is called the makif. It's an encompassing light. That it encompasses all the individual powers. All these individual powers that come into the, into the, into the vessels of the body. From the head to the bottom. And it includes them all together. It includes all the powers because they all come from it. 
Where does the intelligence come from? From the soul. Where does the vision come from? From the soul. But in the soul, in the soul, you can't differentiate. Ooh, there is the power of vision. And there is the power of, of intellect. There it's one force that is above it all. It emanates particular power. And, and, and these powers, each one finds its matching, its matching limb that is, that is tailored that when God created a body, he created it with incredible wisdom that each limb should match the, 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 that particular energy of the soul. And it includes them all together. Because it itself is above this whole division. It's an indivisible energy. Because it doesn't set in, because it doesn't go into a vessel. It's not meant to go into a container and a vessel. It's above. And therefore, even when it does shine onto the body, it doesn't, it doesn't adapt to the body. It just, it's, it's, it's almost like we call it, it encircles the entire. Without any difference between the intelligence of the head, let's put in our to the soul itself. The, 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 there's no difference between the brain and the head to the toenail. And based on this yuvan, so now we'll understand the difference. Now, this is talking about. Energy, life force in general. Now let's apply that to the particular, to the to the idea of a spiritual consciousness, a soul. See, before we were talking about just life force, which can be even to an animal as well. An animal also has a in particular powers that go into each limb and a general life force that encompasses. When we talk about our godly soul, our higher self, our so we hear as well the, our godly powers of the soul. And there is a general higher godly persona, an entire being, a force of, of which is not divided by the body. That's called these two levels of souls that are called chayachida, that are encompassing powers. They're called the chayachida to the arpanimi, to the indwelling plight, which is called nefesh ruach neshama. And this goes, we said earlier. The intelligence of the godly soul are, are, are considered graspable, understandable in an internal life. They are actually facilitated by the brain. That's called soul. That's the highest level. The intellect of the soul is from within the three powers that vest in the body. The highest one is an intellect. That's called soul. It is known that the dwelling of the neshama is in the brain. The spirit sits in the heart. And then the, and then the uh, nefesh is in the liver. And that, emanate, and that animates more the physical engines, the physical activities. The liver is more responsible for the physical motor, motor skills of the body. The, 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 the spirit is more the, the energy, the passion, the fire of the person. And there's the intellect. This is the internal light. Everybody in accordance. Now, everybody is different. But not, everybody's, not everybody's brain capacity is the same. Not everybody's emotional capacity is the same. Everybody, every soul, it's all different, so on and so forth. 
that everybody's intellect and emotion in terms of their ability to connect to God intellectually and emotionally is different. Some people have this type of intelligence. And some people have this kind of disposition in their emotions. That Hashem creates all kinds of spirits. All of this is the limited lights of the soul enclosed in a vessel. Like the example of the physical, of the energies of the soul enclosed, as we said earlier. But the encompassing energy of the godly soul, this is the essence of the godly soul. Which is higher than its detailed enclosement in the pa- in the in-, in the powers in the intellectual in the in the um in the in the in the brain or in the the, the vessels of the mind or the vessels of the heart this is the source from this level of soul come and emanate all these individual powers of nefeshuach Hashama of moichavaliba of the in, of the brain and the heart. Now, just because it's encompassing doesn't mean we can't be conscious. It, that's the that's where the main avoda is. The main service is to transcend our to allow our soul, our godly soul, to settle in our bodies. Not only its powers. See, it's possible to live your entire life never even develop the godly soul at all. And even if a person is observant. Because it's possible for a person to just basically be, I can't say none, because if you're doing mitzvahs, you're already allowing the nefesh to settle. But if a person doesn't work past just mitzvah observance, you do mitzvahs because there's a kind of natural fear of God that's there. and Or maybe a person has been educated by their parents to be you know, a good Jew. So he learns Torah, does mitzvahs, but that's basically it. And they don't ever work on experiencing love of God in their soul. A higher love of Hashem. That means that only their nefesh is unlocked, is manifesting in their body. Their ruach is not even taking effect. But if a person works on that, then you enable yourself to experience holy emotions. Your heart is not filled only with earthly passions. The heart is filled. There's an excitement to go pray. There's an excitement to go study Torah a passion to get close to God. You literally feel it. Oh, then there are people who allow the, the mind of their godly soul to enter. That happens when we study Hasidus. What are you doing? You're opening up your neshama. You're allowing your, your soul to have, to have to give its understanding into your brain. So your human brain is filled with the light of your soul. But that's not enough, he's explaining. Because that means you're only inviting in the powers of your soul. That means, as a human being, who are you? A material human being, a human. What's my identity? Who? What's my soul? What's my life? What's my life? My life is physical life. That's my life. My life, I'm a physical human being here. I have a, a flow of intelligence that's flowing into me, that's teaching me about a higher reality, which is creating holy emotions, which is... So then, even though there is a spiritual infusion into, into the, but it's all limited. 
because intellect is limited and emotions are limited. Everything is limited. However, what he's saying is that it's possible through intense avod, through intense work, to open ourselves up that our very life force is not becomes our life force of our godly soul. Which means that our natural drive constantly, what, what's this power? How do we experience this power? This all-encompassing power. It's the drive to be alive. That drive. So in an animalistic level, it's our animalistic drive to be alive. But imagine if we could open up in ourselves the drive of life, where the drive is to live godly life, which means to, to live, to live. I'll give you an example. Um, the beautiful story that there was one of the Hasidim of the Alter Rebbe, of the Rukhshnir Zalman of Liyadi, his name was Rebbe Kusil Liyepler. And he was an amazing Hasid. And the Alter Rebbe once wanted to give him a blessing that he should have wealth. He wanted to give him a brain, wanted, he said, I have a blessing for you. I guess he saw in his soul that he has, he has a lot of energy over there that, that, that hasn't manifested in his life. I want to give you a blessing for wealth. So he said, no, I don't want. Only Chabad can tell the Rebbe, I don't want. He says, well, I, I know if I become wealthy, I'm going to start worrying about money and things and that. It's, gonna, it's, gonna, it's, gonna, it's not going to allow me to, to serve God. I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to stop becoming worried about my money. And as a result of that, I won't be able to really immerse myself in divine meditation. He used to meditate for hours and hours. I won't be able to do it in the same way. Forget about it. Keep the money. I'm not interested. So the Rebbe said, okay, I'll give you a long life. So what did he say? Rebbe, but on condition. On condition. I'm going to live a long life. It has to be it has to be life. I don't want it to be a life of a peasant, is what he said, who have eyes and don't see and ears or don't hear. And I don't want peasant day life. If you're giving me life, I only want to live. Listen, literally, I only, if you, let's say you were supposed to live till those days, people didn't live too long. You know, you go back to Europe, people, people average lifespan was 50, 60, maybe 70, you know. And this guy was, let's say this chassan was supposed to live to 60. And the Rebbe is giving him an extra 30 years. He lived to 90 years old. Let's say, I don't know how long you lived there. Giving him one life. He said, if those 30 years, my life is going to be life not about God. It's going to be just I'm living and I'm eating and I'm in. I don't want that life. To him, that wasn't life. It's not like, because to him, his godliness was not just input. To him, it wasn't life. His life force meant only living the life of his godly soul. So he says, Rebbe, if you can guarantee me that my life is going to be the life of my godly soul, that all begin, I want to live alone. But if it's not going to be a godly life, and my essential drive is just living, eating, sleeping, doing all those material things, from time to time, it's nice to have some spirituality because it's beautiful and it's nice. If that's what it is, I don't want that. But that's not life to me. But that's what we're talking about over here opening up a higher reality. That's life. And even deeper than life, which we're going to see is, is identity, the very essence of the soul. And that's and when you when you can unplug that level of your soul, then the animal soul becomes completely flipped over, as we're going to see. 
Okay, now it's it's this radiance of the soul that's not enclosed in the body. When it reveals itself, it encompasses the entire body. From head to toe, is without any division. Just like physically, our our life itself is equal in the entire body. Spiritually, the soul life is is also all encompassing. Now, he says, and now we'll understand the difference between the love of loving God with all your soul, loving God with all your heart is called internal life, and even loving God with all your soul is still called and the real love of Hashem which it means, or makif, the encompassing life, your very life force, is b'chol odecha with all your might. As he explains. B'chinas naran, b'chol nafshecha means with your nefesh, ruch neshama, b'moicha v'aliba, with your heart and your mind. Habab b'chinas ha'gbala ma'oid, it's very limited. Rakafi erach ha'gbala sa'kelem, it's only limited according to the limitations of the vessels. The moicha v'aliba, how much our minds can understand. However, there's a much deeper level of love when a person opens up their soul to what's called the great love, which means a much deeper level of soul that is not limited by any vessels, it is an encompassing light. It's not limited by the vessels of the mind. An example of that love, of a hovering love, of a higher energy, is the holiness that is acquired when we when we have ten Jews together, we create a quorum. So we know that we're always supposed to pray with a minion. And way better than praying alone. We try to always go with minion. Why? The sages say, because when there are ten Jews together, the Shekhinah dwells there. So what does that mean? But if the Shekhinah dwells, does that mean that everybody's suddenly you walk into a minion, suddenly your 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 God is there, so there must be such an incredible energy in everybody's mind. Everybody's understanding must multiply a million times. The emotion suddenly flares. It's not that way. Most of it goes subconscious. Why? Because we're not dealing the ten Jews together, getting together because this the ormak. If everybody, everybody's soul as an encompassing their soul. When ten people match together, the energy multiplies, and the divine presence is there. But it's something that we that is subconscious. We don't feel it. But it could help you in your prayer. Because if you do open yourself up to the sub to the subconscious levels of your soul, if you're davening with minion, it's kicking on a much higher level. It's much stronger. Because it's not just your encompassing energy, it's the encompassing energy of everybody together, merging together, and that create and when it's ten, it has superpower. Because inside the Yechida of this encompassing dimension of our godly soul dwells literally God. And the reason why, as we're going to see later, there is no battle when this level of soul, we're tapping this energy. There is no battle. Remember we learned earlier in the beginning of the discourse that spiritual energies of the soul is possible for it 
to be to be to be misguided and mis, misdirected towards towards the unholy. We discussed earlier in the shir tonight that it's possible for someone to have love of Hashem, to create love for God, and then if they stop focusing on God, they still have passion, and then they see something in the world, something around them, and that suddenly the animal soul gets excited. The animal soul will now take the energy that was created by the godly soul in prayer and suddenly use that energy to create an enormous passion, an enormous desire, and sometimes even a lust for something dark. From what? From the prayer. So that kind of leaking, however, that kind of usurping that the animal soul steals energy and can take energy is only when it's the limited energies of the intellect and the emotion. However, when the person opens themselves up to this infinite light of God, the klippa, the unholy, becomes completely frazzled when it sees it. It 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 it, it causes it to literally the evil the evil inclination, the animal soul, becomes absolutely voided by this light. It's too intense. It knocks them out completely. It neutralizes the animal soul. That my yechida, David HaMelech says, that my yechida is saved from the dogs. The dogs can't get to the yechida. It seems like in Tehillim that it's a prayer. Save my neshama, my yechida from the dogs. But he's using it in the Mimer as if the Yechida, not that, is the way the Pirush is from the Mimer, is that the Yechida is above any type of, any type of misuse. And this is also what we say. And, very, and we can understand why. Let's understand something. If I'm loving God because of my perception of God's greatness, my understanding, so we understand that that's, that's your energy. It's not God. It's our energy. It's, it's, it's because we have a certain imp- appreciation and of our mind in the awesomeness of God, so we're now creating, we have, we have within our soul, yes, it's a godly soul, but we have the ability to create an excitement for it. So that, ex- but after all, that's an excitement of a being of a created being towards Hashem. So a created being's energy could be usurped, could be misdirected. But the the higher powers of the soul, as we spoke of, the encompassing the life force itself, especially the yichida, the deepest element of the soul. God himself is unified with that part of the soul. So that energy is purely divine. The unholy cannot attack God himself and take that in, because it's God, it's Hashem. So over there they get electrocuted. So they wouldn't dare try that. As it, we also say, Gam King David also says in chapter 23, Gam even when I go, the gates are of us in the shadow in the shadows of death, in the valley of death. I don't, I'm not afraid of, of evil. Why? Because you're with me. 
What does that mean? Because there is the because, because if I know that if godliness, if if elokus is there, the klipa runs. Dashinta. This is the shechina, the shayei areshe. The Zohar says, and when it says, I'm, "I'm not afraid because you're with me," is because the shechina dwells in everybody's head. On every so, so here's the thing: people who allow that shechina that dwells above their head to to that that shechina light that dwells above their head to enter into their consciousness to a certain degree, and that light that's above their head literally shines through their face. And as a result of that, animals are afraid of that. There's a tzelem elokim. There's a godly. There's a godly reflection on the person. Even the most vicious animals will run, as we know, they can't harm a person if they see that godliness. If a person does not settle their godly soul into them, so even though it's above, but it's not reflecting on them. So the 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 this 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 um, this. Dangerous animal is not afraid of the person. Not necessarily afraid of the human face. He's afraid of the godliness that's now radiating. If the makif of yechid, that's why we know tzaddikim who live with these consciousness on these higher levels. On this level it says, that a person walks with the tzalem. It's referring to the tzalem elokim. Tzalem means the image of God, which it's explained that the tzaddik of tzelem, there's three word, three letters here, tzaddik lamed nem. The tzaddik of the word tzelem is the nefesh ruach neshama, the part of the soul that goes in the body, and the lamed and the mem are the two makifim. The lamed is one level of makif, one, one encompassing, the chai, and the mem is a higher level of makif. We'll soon see the difference between these two encompassing levels. The Zohar says, God says, I left a little trace of myself on you. The Zohar says, on the past, there's a verse that says, when a soul will sin. There's a verse in Vayikra, it says, when a soul will sin. So the Zohar says, when we read that verse in the Torah, we have to realize that the Torah is not making a statement. The Torah is back. A soul sins? How can that be? A soul, it's a piece of God. How can it sin? Big question. Tiva, it's a wonder. That means the, when the verse says that, the verse is, is crying, Gavald, how can it be? So what does that mean? He said, it's referring not to the Nefesh Ruch Nesham. Because Nefesh Ruch Nesham become limited and enclosed in the body and it is possible that it could leak into unholy things. We're talking about the transcendence of the soul. That's the real power of nefesh. Can it sin? And as we say, the soul that you gave me, she's pure. After this, we say, you created it, you formed it, you made it. Oh, those are the three lower levels of the soul. You created it. Oh, that's already a creation. It can fit into the body. It can go into the mind. That's the limited parts of the soul. You created it. You formed it. You, you blew it into me. But the part of my soul that transcends, she's pure. She's still divine. That's explained elsewhere. Great. That's why it's called with all your might. Believe Gavul. Ma'od means a lot. If we tap 
this level of soul and we feel it in our heart, we experience literally a limitless energy to do good. A limitless drive. In which we're never satisfied. We always want more and more and we're driven with like this a never-ending power and energy because we're, 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 we're feeling something that is limitless. We're feeling a piece of the divine, which is a piece, piece of the divine is, is divine. And therefore it drives us with, with insane drive. A person that accesses such a level is like alive with extra energy. As it is known. Now in the makif itself, there are two levels. The lower level of Makif, Chaya, Yechida, and the higher level, which is called Yechida, Kiyadua. The Hembeiz Minei Ratzin. These are two types of will. Echad Ratzin Ameir Mispash. Now, what's the difference between Chaya and Yechida? Is that the level of Chaya, even though it's essentially a transcendental desire, it's the essential desire of the soul, but it can still extend it can still be felt in the mind and in the heart. In other words, it like allows itself to be experienced as a drive, as a will within the mind and the heart. What does that mean? That in our, in our conscious faculties, we can feel this, this limitless, insane um, attachment to God. Okay? Even though it's rooted in an encompassing energy. And therefore it's too intense, we shouldn't feel it at all. It does infuse the brain, it does infuse the heart. Or what we mean is something like this. It can come in a manner where you think, where you have a reason to be loving. You learned something, it triggered, it triggered in you an excitement. And you get excited based on what you learned. But your excitement far surpasses what you learned. The reason that's there is just a trigger. But what you're really driven is because you have an innate love to God. It's just it needs a trigger. That means that the the love that's beyond reason is enclosed a little bit in reason. You think you're loving, but you realize that that's that's like it's really mishagas. It's like you say, it's really craziness. It's a crazy love, but it's kind of camouflaged in reason. But deeper than that. Is pure, pure desire. It's beyond complete, completely from its from its emergence in our mind and our heart. It doesn't mean that we can't be conscious of it. We'll soon understand when it does come it, how it manifests. This is the difference between the closer makif, the chai. And the level of Yechida, Shanikra Makiv Klali or Makiv Prati. There's a more general encompassing energy and a more closer Makiv. And now he explains it. We first have to preface. This is very Gishmak. He says, You see, Shekasha Yeshla Adam Ezer Rachin Vichukal Adavana. He gives just simple examples. He's going to break this down to us in a very simple way. He says that a lot of times we find that people have certain desires, certain wants, and it's a, it's a true desire. It's a real desire that we have. However, we find that sometimes this desire that a person is experiencing 
or always has, it's part of their nature, comes into contradiction, is now facing a situation where there is a deeper desire in the person. And that deeper desire overpowers and makes that other desire kind of like dismisses it. And almost as if they don't have the desire anymore. What's the simple example he gives? Most people have a desire for money. You like making money and you cherish your money. You cherish your finances. You want to, you check your bank accounts. You check your investments. You, and you're seeking always how to improve it and how to make more and so on and so forth. Because money is important. Money is life sustaining and so on and so forth. Money gives a person prestige and kind of at least they imagine it gives them safety and security. So, so money, money becomes, can be, and it can obviously, People can become obsessed with money as well. Okay, fine. And usually, it can also be that a person doesn't want to spend his money. If you like your money, you don't want to spend it. You want to just gather more and more and more. You don't want to let go of it. Some people can let go of it more. Some people less. Fine. What happens if a person has a real attachment to money? But then, there is a situation where their health is now in conflict with their money. Have an opportunity to make a lot of money, but let's say if they go, if they if they pursue it, it's going to be detrimental to their health. And they, they, they know clearly, so now they know that they, so their love for life and for staying alive is more important. Than, or it can be that they have to spend a lot of money for what purpose? To save their life or to save their child's life. The doctor bills are crazy and that's insurance is not covering you. Know, you can save your child can die, God forbid, or or someone has to ransom their child or take it into captivity. And suddenly all the money that was so precious, what happens? The desire that they have for their child overpowers. So you can have one desire canceling another desire. You see clearly, right? So what does he want? Where's he going with this? We'll see in a minute. So we can find that there can be a nullification and an end to a desire and a, and a desire because of something that's much more wondrous, a desire that's far more stronger. When it contradicts the other desire. Now, even though we will find that this desire for money, let's say, as he's going to explain in a moment, he's going to give the example of money, becomes, surrenders itself, and maybe goes out of a person's heart completely. And so much so, as if you never had it, it's not a, it's not a complete cancellation. For it to become completely converted, it never really changed. Basically, what we're saying is that the desire for money is still there. He's going to prove it in a moment. It's still as strong as it always was. It's just that it, it, right now, your heart and your mind is consumed. There's another um, attachment. There's something else that is a love and an attachment and a, and a, and a desire that is, that is deeper, for, that is, that touches you in a deeper place that is now occupying your consciousness 
your heart and your mind, and it's not leaving room for anything else. If God, someone's child is in danger, so you can't think of anything else but getting your child out of that danger. And that becomes all-consuming. What do you think? All these people who have hostages, you think they were thinking about their businesses, their, their family members were away. They were it could be, a, a, a imagine a guy, a, a father, he lost his son, his, his daughter is out there. You think, let's say he's a major tech guy, you think he had a head to go in his business? To think, and even his business is lost. He couldn't, he had no head to it. Why? Because now he's consumed. Does that mean he has no love for his business and for his money? He does. But right now, because this is his child that's tugging at the depth of his heart, it's, 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 it's filling the space that the, that the, that the, that, that the earlier was occupied by his love for money. Right? We see that. The loin is back on the men of plume. It didn't get raksha. And what happens if the hostage, went, 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 not if, for sure they will come. When the hostage comes, it's bad. It's reunited. So for a week or two, you know, you're still recovering from the ordeal. Afterwards, he's back in his business. And suddenly, more than that, his desire for passion for money might come back even stronger than it was before. Because it, it, it kind of now has to catch up a little bit. It's not revealed right now in the intellect and in the mind. Because it has now been in conflict with a, a more powerful love, the Shah that took over the heart and the, and the, and the mind. If for whatever reason this higher desire and, 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 and will that's, that's far more wondrous and more powerful, will leave this person's heart because it's not necessary right now. It will return to its earlier state, and it will be fully, it will re-enter a person's consciousness completely. Like it is without, as if it was never canceled. He says it can come back with the same exact vigor, without it being diminished even one bit. That means that when it was canceled, it wasn't a real cancellation. Like Hefsek, it was a temporary pause. It was right now, it was paused, because there is there's, there's more important business. And what, this, what it means is, even when it was stopped, it wasn't inherently stopped. It was It was not given expression. It's still there in essence. This person's desire for money, for power, for fame is still there. It just it was not given an ability to express itself because the vehicle of expression is in the heart and the heart was preoccupied with something that right now takes precedence over that particular thing. Regarding the victory of this, now the reason he's going to use victory over here is because when we are talking about the desires of the animal soul, the physical cravings, versus the godly soul's cravings. So let's say you're praying really well and you're creating a much deeper desire in your life, a desire to collect to God. And for, for during prayer, it completely pushed out all other desires. And now your heart is filled just with a spiritual quest and a yearning. Doesn't mean you have essentially converted the animal's cravings. It's still exactly as it was before. It temporarily is paused because the animal, the godly soul is 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 drumming its its drum its drums right now 
in the heart and in the soul. Because the because it, it has now prevailed over it. It's not a real bittel. Even if it's temporarily um, overpowered. Essentially, it was not nullified. It was only subdued. For it not to be revealed. It, 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 it silenced it as if it's not in existence, but it doesn't mean it's not there. Is a real psych- psychoanalysis that he's doing over here. It will come back, it will be there. What it means is that one desire was subdued by another desire, it was brought to submission, but not the transformation. The lawyer's happened, it wasn't transformed. And here he gives the example with money and the other thing. When a person has a desire and he desires, and he, and he has a very strong desire for money. To profit a great, a great profit. To, or to make a fortune. But it comes into conflict that if they're going to go ahead with this business deal, there are some shady people involved. Let's say they tell you, you got to come and you got to fly down to Rwanda and you're going to meet in the, in the back of the airport with a couple of guys. You can exchange the cash over there. Somewhere in the middle of the connection flight, you might stop and think, I'm a little afraid to get onto this plane. I don't know who I'm going to meet over there. I don't know, you know, because there have been stories that they brought people down there and they put a bullet through the person's head, grabbed the money, and they didn't give any of the goods. And that was the end of it. Understand? So even though technically you might make a lot of money, you start reconsidering. And even though you really, really want money, you think, well, it's not worth giving up my life on it. So I want to live more than I want that. So you can understand clearly that suddenly the desire for money now gets overtaken by the fear for one's life. Or sometimes it's not your own life, but the life of your loved ones. That they are precious in a person's eyes. More than, more than, more than the value of the money. Here's another example. That a person is faced with a situation where they have an opportunity to achieve fame and power. They can be appointed a king, a president, a tsar, governor. And, but in order to, to, to make that, they're going to have to give up on their business. They're going to have to temporarily. I know we don't, we, we are, uh, we, we, uh, we try to be cautious because, but I'm not bringing it in from a, in this at all in the, because of political things. Because we know we have a lot of very, very big fans and a lot of very, very, very anti. But I'm going to give you, I'm going to use him as an example just because it's fun. So, so Trump, Trump is a money hungry, loves power and making a lot of money. And, and, and the prestige of all the money and the, this billionaire. But when it came the opportunity to become president and run for president and have the, the, the you know, have the, the, the honor and the prestige and being there, have the high office, it costed him a crazy amount of money. Even though he didn't spend his own money, he raised the money, but the fact that he couldn't, in, he couldn't invest himself in his business so much and the amount of lawsuits and the amount of what they're coming at him, and that. but he's still at it. Why is he still at it? Does he not like money? 
And if he would have just quit the whole thing and, and, and just continued growing his businesses and turn his billions into crazy billions. Why? Because the desire for the fame and the whatever it is, is more important to him. And it cancels the other desire. Um, he says, you can see for fame, a person can also give up money. Before he spoke about for, for, for health and for reason. Suddenly all the money becomes meaningless. Regarding in comparison to the to the to the greatness and the honor that he will attain. And the person can disregard all desire for money. And compared to the much more greater or the much greater uh, longing, which is the great honor and prestige, however, this doesn't mean that there's no more desire for money. It's not like the desire for money has become literally nullified. What's the proof? If the person still has a desire for the money, you might think right now you've given up on the money. All you want is prestige and honor, because when it still hurts him when he knows that he's losing money, when he's getting sued and millions of dollars have to be spent on lawyers, and it hurts him. I have no doubt it hurts because he likes money. I'm not blaming him. I'm, I'm not talking about any. I'm just saying a person likes money. So even though it's worth it to give it up because it's considered nothing compared to prestige, but still. It still causes a discomfort. Because the desire for fame and prestige is so powerful, it quiets and it silences and it subdues the desire for money temporarily. To the point that you're not feeling it at all. It's as if you don't have a desire for it. It's still there in the subconscious. It's just not finding expression right now. As we said earlier, and all of this is the reason for this is the reason. Now he's going to explain the reason for the limit, the limitation in one desire canceling the second desire is because the even the desire for prestige and the money is still a limited desire. So a limited force will not destroy completely the other thing. It still it has a measure. It has a limit. These are limited desires. They're not infinite. And because they're limited, the according to the vessel. I'm sorry, no, no, no. He's explaining. The reason why desire A is going to move away for desire B is because desire A is limited. It means how much you love money, but how, to what degree? It has a limit. What's the proof? You can love your children more than your money. That means it's not an infinite desire. Then you can't love anything more than it. If there's a higher desire, so the first desire will exit 
the mind and the heart, that they take of gili oida rotsin for the second desire. The zah nikra bechinis This is called waging war. In other words, this applies very much to the internal battle by a person. And one power is subduing the other one. What happens is when it's just like in a physical battle. One of the, what's the point? Two people get into a wrestling ring. Two MMA fighters. In the beginning, both are standing. The point over here is, I want this ring as my ring. So I want to just, I want to knock you out of the ring. I want to have a total knockout, a boxing match, total knockout. I can say, I'm the winner. This is my place. Heavyweight champion. I won the thing. So that's the battle. Who's going to deliver? Who's going to deliver a more devastating punch? Is going to win as more power. It's going to overpower the other, the other fighter. Like two people when they're waging war. When one guy overpowers the other, the Yapilena one will cause him to fall. Then the person who defeated the other will stand on the space where the other one was standing. You haven't destroyed him completely. Why? Because how many times do we have that people come back for a rematch? That means that just because he was defeated once means he doesn't come back again. Now you want, and everybody's applauding, and you're really, you might have a rematch. Right now, the person who lost goes out of the, goes out of the ring. He's got his nose down. He's got shame. He feels defeated. Maybe it takes him a little while psychologically to discover. The guilty is passion. In order for him not to, lahadim roish, to raise his head, the dialamev. But he's now going to explain there's a different manner of, to, of a conflict. Now he's going to discuss that there is a conflict that obliterates the enemy completely. And he's not coming back. The example for that is when fire and water get into a fight. It's not like the fire subdues the water in the door, then the water then it still has, it's just, it's, just, it's just now weakened. The fire subdues the water means it drinks up the water completely. If the water extinguishes the fire, it knocks it out completely. It's a total knockout and you're not coming back again. When two elements themselves, the reason why we're, we're talking about the elements is because he wants to show when the, when the fundamental element of the godly soul is fighting with the fundamental element of the animals, not the not the emanations of the godly soul is fighting with the, with the emanations of the animals, but the essence of the godly soul, the, the, the very element itself, the very foundation of it, when it prevails, then it uproots the, the enemy completely. That's why he's bringing the elements of fire and water, which are called elements, fundamental elements. like fire and water, it's, this does not, this is not only submission. It's a complete conversion. When the fire will overpower the water, it will convert the nature of the water to become like fire. What happens is the water becomes steam. It becomes hot and steam and it becomes, 
it will be completely flipped over like the fire. The same is the opposite. If the water gets the upper hand, obviously, you know, if you have a lot of water compared to the fire, as it is known with the integration of the elements, when one becomes overpowered or flips over and becomes included in its opposite, what happens is it itself becomes part of the other entity. The water becomes part of the fire or the fire gets the element of the fire. I don't know how that works. Becomes part of the water and it strengthens the water. I don't know what that means. I don't know what the scientific idea that he says over here means. I'm not sure. And it becomes so converted as if it is part of the other entity. And it becomes so integrated that it becomes one with the other entity. It's no more even like there's fire inside the water. The fire is now dissolved in the water. The water is now dissolved in the fire. This is the real idea of integration. As it is not. However, when it's not that way, but rather, one only, but now when elements you sometimes have, fire and water don't get along with each other. So usually one beats the other. However, it says God can make peace between fire and water. And the sages, for instance, say that when we say the famous song, shalom that God makes peace above. So the sages say, what does that mean? There are two archangels, Michael and Gabriel, Michael and, and, and Gabriel. These two angels, Michael is the source of water. Gabriel is the source of fire. Usually these two can't get along at all. They're two opposite energies. Yet God makes peace between them and they both tolerate each other. And God made a miracle like that also during the hail that there was, it says that the the balls of hail that were falling on Egypt had fire inside. They were literally like bombs. So there were water and fire together. God made peace. So what does that mean? It's also tolerance. But that's not real integration. It's just that I'm, 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 I'm tolerating Michael tolerates Gabriel. Gabriel tolerates Michael because they're both in awe in front of God. The real integration is when one consumes the other and flips it over. When one of them only tolerates the other, and he doesn't convert it completely, this is not called it. Inter, 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 uh, maybe integration of the Gabriel. An example of the case where it's not an integration, it's where it says that Michael and, 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 and Gabriel, Sarshal Eish, the minister of fire, the Sarshal Mayim, and the minister of water, says that they don't extinguish each other. They're not extinguishing one that one should oppose the other. Each one tolerates the opposite. But the substance of each one has not become nullified. To become converted into the opposite. And tolerance is like, an example of tolerance is you have two servants 
who hate each other. Whenever they go into the, into the, into the pool room, they throw punches at each other. You know, when they go into the servants' quarter and they're there and they're sitting around, they get up and they wrestle with each other, they kill each other, they hate each other. However, when they stand in front of the master, they work together. Because they're so scared of the master, they both become humbled and in front of him, they stand together. When they stand in front of the king, they wouldn't dare start a fight in front of the king. Not only that, they'll work, they'll work in harmony. If they need to do a job together, they'll do it. Even though a minute later when the king isn't watching and they're going in the back room, they're at each other's throats. Because they have the fear of the king. What does that mean? The king is not canceling their essence. He's canceling their expansion. Their hatred towards each other is not manifesting. Substance, they're still enemies. They're still opposites. Makes peace. But by war, it's not that way. Where one wants to convert the other completely and it wants to, in substance, convert it. So this is higher than the peace in this, in this particular idea. Because there will be real peace, meaning there won't be just a, a temporary truce, a ceasefire. It's going to be real peace in the sense. Why? Because there's no more opposition. This can, but this can happen in two ways. One of them is through war. But a war which the intention is that the enemy should be completely weakened and then whoever of the enemy wants to surrender and become part of my team, good. Complete conversion. Joshua fought wars that way. And you see that there were of the Canaanite people when they came and they pretended, they said, we want to be your servants. King David fought such wars. And these are the wars. That's one way of doing it. Or on a higher level, in a way that there is no war. Like in the days of King Solomon. King Solomon had many, many enemies. In essence, the world was not ready to accept, you know, the, 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 the world was, wasn't ready to accept the Jewish people, even in the days of King Solomon. But because King Solomon's renown was so powerful, his name was so powerful, his wisdom was so great that everybody was scared of him. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't even, rep- they didn't even lift a finger. They he didn't even have to subdue them. He didn't have to fight. And for sure in the days of Mashiach, where all evil is going to be subdued without a war. stated But going back to the idea, that there's two types of war. One type of war is a very superficial victory. You, you're, you're not winning the war, you're only winning the battle. Is only to, to, to have a moment, a momentary victory. Labilti is fashion. I, 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 that part, you know, one side subdues the other one, not allowing him to, to get his way. Lavad. Well, he might come back tomorrow again. Avaloi samiti, but not nullifying it or completely abnegating it. That's called real as God's kineskiliyah. Abay is the second level of war. 
with a type of war which is far more intense and thorough, where the intention is to convert and to nullify the substance of the evil completely, or the other side. It completely drops its opposition. And even more than that, it starts becoming, it's like a country that conquers another land and then actually makes and annexes that territory and that territory becomes completely assimilated into the country. That's called a complete Iskavalos Kanal. Now these two types of wars Oh, it's amazing. Both of these wars, these two, two, two types of, of are when are possible within the internal battle that we're talking about earlier, the internal battle, even to achieve a subduing of the enemy that he's never coming back again, even that is possible to achieve that with the internal powers of our godly soul. When the firing of the guns of the godly soul is coming from the internal powers, there's two levels. You can achieve a winning of the battle, or you can even achieve a winning of the war. However, it's not completely thorough, we'll see soon. However, higher than that is required a, 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 a introduction of the transcendent powers of the soul. And we'll see why in a minute. When you have two wills, it's like when you have two conflicting wills, where one of them is stronger than the other one, and one of them can cause the other one to either to either surrender or even to flip it over. Oh, I knew that this this higher level of conversion is not, he calls it orpnimi, but over here he's he's explaining it's not completely the orpnimi. It's the ormakif that, the the encompassing light that at least illuminates a little bit the in the intern. And we said earlier that the level of chai is a drive that's irrational, but it's still translated in the mind and in the heart. And therefore, it, it, it has certain limitations. Even though it's on its own is, a, is beyond the limitations of the mind and the heart. Like we said earlier that the nefesh ruch nasham is enclosed in the, in the brain and in the heart. But the higher levels of soul Bilti mukbalim klal are not limited at all. Moshkas beitzchayim is stated in itzchayim kedal achim kolzat. But but with notwithstanding that, since it's it does dip into the mind and into the heart, it can still have the war. But when you reveal yechida, it's much deeper. So now he's going to take in chapter six. We're going to learn one more chapter. Really, I wanted to learn too much. But I'm getting tired. They're very long. You see, the middle of Rebbe is different than the outer Rebbe. 
Alter Rebbe speaks very short, concise. The Mittler Rebbe talk, talks at length. And as a result of that, especially when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm giving explanations, and plus you have to read all the words, it's a lot of talking and a lot of words. Now he's going to translate this into the internal war of the, of the soul versus the animal soul. The conflict between the godly soul and the animalistic drives in a person. The two types of, of love in which we say, all your heart and all your soul. say it means with both your inclinations. This is the idea to subdue the, the, the animal soul or even to convert it. To the point that you get all the foreign thoughts and all the foreign desires. A person manages, I mean, this is a high level, a very high level, that they kind of wipe out all other desires in their, in their body. Other, the only desire is for God. For, for living a godly life, for fulfilling God's mission in this world. That's it. There's a verse that says that. King David talks about that. What are you going to offer me of heaven? Heaven is not going to, is not going to excite me. And what is with you I don't desire on earth. Meaning no heavenly pleasure and no earthly pleasure I'm interested in. I only want you, God, alone. I cancel all desires. Now, to reach that level, you have to activate such a strong desire that's in a sense limitless, but even when it's like fire and water, because one is going to argue, although when it's fire and water, it seems to be a complete eradication. So what do you need something higher than that? If we're saying now that Bechol Nafshech already completely converts it, so why, why do you need even Bechol Meldecha even deeper than that? Which he says is going to come through the revelation of the Yechida. So he's going to explain something really phenomenal now. Why? Yes, when a person's love for God is not measured by their mind, but they're able to tap their very life force and love God with the essential love of their soul. They intensify the love, the, the, the light of, the, of their spiritual desire of their godly soul. To knock out all the desires of the animalistic self. In a way of war, and in a way of victory. To convert it on a fundamental level. And, and we can see this. I mean, obviously, wishful thinking for most of us. A person can flip over all their negative desires. That all the desires should only be for God. And a person can achieve such a level that they don't have any leftover desires to the material, physical world that's not in the service of God. This can come through daily meditation and through, and through constant prayer and reaching an intensification of the godly soul that prevails over the animal soul. The time of doing this is during the time of prayer. That's the time of battle. As we said earlier,
However, we'll see in a moment as if you're doing it in a way of battle, in a way of war, even if you set, give a complete knockout punch and you've done it in a way that the, your opponent will never even dare to think again to ever do a rematch. It's like getting hit by Mike Tyson. Forget about it. You're done. Never coming back again. But it's still, you'll see in a minute. But the great love of loving God with all your might, that's bringing forth not the encompassing, the lower encompassing energy, which is what delivers this devastating punch, godly punch, but the but but something much deeper, bringing forth the makif of yichid. It doesn't have any limitations in the mind and in the heart. It never is rationalized. It's it's totally level that's beyond all reason and all all rationale. It's not even this is really essentially infinite. It's not infinite only compared to the vessel. It's truly infinite. Over there, there is no war. This is the real experience of self-sacrifice. Giving yourself over to God completely is to be able to uncover this deepest core dimension of soul that is above, above the body, above, above the encompassing energy. It's the encompasser of the encompassing, which is the ultimate, this oneness with God. And when you achieve that, there's no more war at all. But we still need to explain. Didn't we say earlier that fire and water can cancel each other to the point that it's converted completely? It seems like that when you engage with our physical desires and, and, and confront them with much more powerful desires, if a person can unleash the powers, the desire of their soul, that should be able to do it, do away with it for good. And we say it does. So what is the advantage of going even deeper? So he's going to explain something really interesting over here. Obir Advarim, and you do it as no. There's two ways of, we say, Mesiris Nefesh is a very high, lofty, lofty, um, um, a lofty ideal in Judaism. It's to give oneself over completely to God. So there's two levels. There's a more external level and there's a more internal. External level means I give over all my desires for you, God. I'm I'm canceling every desire. My only desire is, is, is for you and for what you want me to do. I obliterate every desire. Uh, wishful thinking, but that's very high level. But I'm giving over every desire. But then he says it's deeper than that. I'm not giving over my desires. I'm giving you my entire me. The me is deeper than the desires. 
it's a complete re-identification. That's what he's going to develop. Okay, as we're going to see. One is a cancellation of all of all desires. Where the godly soul converts all the desires of the animal soul, it knocks out all the desires. Coming from the from the battle of the godly soul, that wages war with the animal soul. You introduce into your body, into your physical sensations, the desire, the, the desires of the godly soul. The burning, relentless desire of a godly soul. If we don't darken our godly soul through sin and we allow our godly soul into our body, the, the passion and the, and the desire for into our consciousness, the passion and desire for that can be so spectacularly intense. That the animal soul can't doesn't stand a chance. It burns out. It's like one fire burning out all other fires. And it's so intense, it's so in- intensified. Till reaches a point that all other desire will become completely null and void. And it will even be converted. As if it doesn't have any more of its earlier existence. It joins along with the soul. It too wants to be part of that party. And it becomes disgusted with all material pleasures that are not for the sake of God and holiness. And all it wants is just a connection to God. And all it chooses is, 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 is attachment to Hashem. This is a radical transformation of what he was all about till now. Kaniska, as we said earlier. Okay, so it seems perfect. He, he's, 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 he's like pulling this and pulling this. I'm already getting ner- I'm getting impatient. Okay, so it's already done. So what's what, what's the story? However, he says, here's the line. That even when one accomplishes this, that their animal soul became canceled and converted, so to speak, what happened is, it's not an, an essential conversion. What it's a conversion, but it is an it's an it's a conversion because it was overwhelmed by a higher by a power that 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 completely cancels it because it's so much more than it. But it's not an essential change. What does that mean? Alderich Dugma gives an example. If you take one drop of water, take this, take this cup of water, and I take a ride and I go down to the, uh, probably take me about uh, half an hour. We go down to the closest beach. I go to the Santa Monica Pair. I go over, I take this cup of water and I pour it into the, into the, into the Pacific Ocean. So this water now became canceled. Cancelled. Doesn't have any existence anymore. It was. It now. There's only the Pacific Ocean. There's not the Pacific Ocean and and the water of my cup. It's cancelled. Well, how was it cancelled? Because there's so much more water in the ocean than what I have in the cup. Is it really, really fundamentally cancelled? No. Why? Hypothetically, 
if I would be able to pull this this water back from the ocean, it, it could still be. It's still it's still in existence. It's not. It's not there. It just gets so mixed with something so much more. It's as if it's not there. It's as if it doesn't exist anymore. And then it can be even a better example. Because, but the truth is, this is also a good example because the, the seawater is salty water and this is fresh water. So would it be possible to find this fresh water that I poured in and pull it back out? Now it's all salty, but no. If it would be, hypothetically, yeah, we can't, but if it would, fine. But he gives an example. If you took Mayim Marim, if you took bitter water, the Mayim Mesukim, and you poured them into bad tasting water, and you poured it into a huge, huge, huge cistern, or a huge, huge, huge tank of delicious fresh water, Fiji water, like I like talking about Fiji water. So a big, huge tank of Fiji water. Put in just one little bit of bad tasting water, foul tasting water. The water has now become sweet, meaning sweet, not sweet, but you know, fresh water. The bitterness went away. Because it became overpowered and over, because it became so nullified, because it's so little. Like one drop in the ocean. Because there's so much sweetness over here. You can have such sweet, such so much fresh water that it takes the bitter water and it and it and it converts it. This nullification, oh, he's giving an, over here an example where it can either be because it is so little, a little bit of, of this of this fresh water going into the major sea of salt water, it loses its, or, or it can be, sometimes it doesn't have to be that there's so much more, but if it's very, very, very potent. For example, if I have maybe a bitter, a bitter medication, a bitter tasting thing that I have to drink, and I pour in very, very, very intense sweetener, very strong sweet. So then, even if it's not a lot, and it's maybe even was more more medication and more sour water, but because because I put in an intense sweetener, even if it's a little, it overpowers the taste. Okay. And so it is, this idea. And wait, he didn't get, get to the to the end. In the end, he's going to explain how hypothetically, if I would be able to take the sweetener out of it, the, the water that was there is still the same taste. It's just it's overwhelmed with the sweetness. If I had a machine that can take the water and filter back out and take the sweet the sweetener that I put in, take every drop of that sweetener powder, powder that I put in, this crazy strong sweetener, and I take it all out, hypothetically, the water is still the same water. 
It's just that in all practical experience, you don't feel it that that taste because the sweetener completely over over overtook it. But first, he's going to apply this idea where something becomes canceled by something else because there's so much of something that it cancels it. It seemed like it obliterated it completely, but it did, but not essentially. It essentially, it's now part of the sweet water. What happens is the entire water becomes sweet. But that's not because it became sweet. It, as we said before, hypothetically, if you can take out the sweetener, the water will still be what it was before. It's just that because, it, because it's so mixed, you, you can't take it out. And the sweetness is so intense that it overpowered the bad taste uh, of, of the water. The bitter taste, the bad taste of the water. The ultimate transformation is if you can take the bitterness itself and turn the bitterness into sweet. Not because there's so much. So here's the thing. If the godly soul has a tsunami of, of, of godly light and a tsunami of godly passion washing over a person, of course it's going to cancel the animal soul's desires because it's a powerful tsunami. It's an ocean that's pouring in of love. But it doesn't mean that essentially the animal soul is flipped over. It's just swept away by the current. It's too much of this godliness. So when I have a higher desire, the transcendental desire that is so intense, when I feel that in my body, that desire cancels the other desire. But not because essentially the other desire was converted. However, if I introduce the chida of my godly soul into my consciousness, as we're going to see soon, if I don't pull just from the level of chai, but I pull from the level of yechida, which means I re-identify re-identi- I my entire, as we said before, I'm giving over my entire existence, not I'm giving over my desires. I'm not having a higher desire that's, that, that's, that, that's, that's nullifying this desire. But rather, I identify completely with my godly existence. There's no room then for anything other than my godly self. On that fundamental level, everything flips off. Game's over. Obviously, to reach this 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 thing, it's quite a quite a task. But we're going to learn maybe probably next week when we're going to continue when we're going to finish the whole thing. Is that the Rebbe says that today's days, since Mashiach is already visible in the world and present in the world, this is the level of Mashiach. Mashiach will will open up to each and every one of us this level of soul. Our very Mashiach is. Till now, all of our spirituality were just rays of our soul, lights of our soul. Our soul, the essence of our soul itself had never settled in our heart. And, and, and once Mashiach comes and that, and we, we will experience ourselves with that level of the very substance of our being is godly. That's, a, that, that's like I said in the days of Mashiach, Shema says, I will flip the nations over. Internally, it means Hashem will flip, we flip our animal soul. But the Rebbe says that today's days, we're already in a place that everybody can achieve this. The question is, how, how do you do it? There's what to talk about.
because we're living already in messianic times. Let's read over here. When in theory your desire becomes cancelled in a larger desire, just like we said earlier, the desire to make money, to, 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 to earn more money, that becomes cancelled in a greater desire when you need to spend the money to save your family member or the like. When a person has to squander a whole lot of money. Sometimes a person has to literally take all their money that they worked for their entire life and literally they worked for, they really loved, they really cared about, they really passionate about. And yet, to save themselves and their family, they have to lose, they have to, how many people during the war had to give up all their money to be able to escape Germany? Even though they had businesses and they had, they had to escape, to save their life. As we spoke earlier, or in exchange for power and prestige, or to, or to, or to save themselves or family members. So we'll understand when it comes to So we find that even though we have true desires towards material, physical things that are called foreign to the godly soul. That they become nullified and included, and and absorbed in a higher desire that is that is overpowering them. So they can get converted to turn over to God alone. Now the reason this this bittle is happening, the reason why the animal soul is 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 surrendering and canceling its desires, is is because it is become overwhelmed. For most of us, it's the opposite. Our animal desires are huge, and our godly desires are like little desires. And that's why when even when we plan on doing something godly and we're excited to do something, and then we have like an animal desire sometimes that comes in the way. Sometimes. We, we 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 give up on our godly pursuit because of a, of an animal of an animalistic consideration. That's no good. That's not being in a healthy godly place. It's not being spiritually in a good place. But even when we do do the right thing and we manage to exercise our godly soul continuously and increase the divine, our godly desire. So then, what happens? That our that our holy desires can flush out the animal desires. Because our desire and our longing for God is so wondrous and so powerful. So this foreign desire is considered nothing. And it becomes canceled in its, in its, in its minimalness. Like a little drop in the ocean. And even though essentially it is in, in opposition to the, to, to the spiritual desire, because it's so much energy flowing from the godly soul, its nature gets converted. It's like the conversion of a little bit of bitter water in a whole lot of sweet water. That the bitter taste becomes converted to sweetness. Or 
or even if they're if the if the desires for the for the material and the desires of the godly are not quantity more one more than the other it's possible that they should be in quantity the same however the godly desire is with a greater meaning to say i have a whole lot of things that i like physical pleasures and delights a whole lot of different types of 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 I don't know. Talk about all kinds of stuff that we like doing that might not be in any way part of our service of God. It's just that we like enjoying them and doing them or having them or whatever. And they might be silly things. And it could be that we have spiritual appetites as well, and not necessarily more spiritual appetites and desires than than, than the earthy ones. It's just that the 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 spiritual ones are deeper, and therefore they're more intense. And as a result of that, it's like the example where it's not a lot of sweet water, it's just very strong sweetener. Might be a little bit, but just a few drops of that overpowers the whole thing. He's giving these two examples. It's possible that it can be just, it can be very intense. It's because the intensity of the desire and the longing for God, when it's coming in a very deep and powerful way from a very deep place, so even though I have like a ton of other desires and my love for God is not, is, but if this is, they become nullified. They can be converted completely to God. Like bitterness can become sweet. Even if the bitter is more, if the little bit of sweetness is very sweet. For example, like very sweet honey. That the bitterness of the radish, the bitterness of the radish can feel sweet because you're coating it in honey, that that, that overpowers the bitterness. And, it, and it's as if the bitterness becomes like a sweet bitterness. So it's no more even bitter. It, 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 you don't feel it anymore. Because the intensity of the sweetness of the honey, that strengthens it. And another example for that is where it's not, it wasn't a lot, but it was very potent, was by Moshe. When the Jewish people came to a place and they had bitter water, and Hashem showed Moshe a, a branch of a tree, he threw it into the water, it became sweet. Even though it was just a small branch. Because it was very, it was, it was only a little. There was a lot of water there. It was sweetened. This is not called essentially transforming. It's 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 your higher being. It's not you. That's the point. The point that it's not you. It's your higher being. You haven't decided even who you are yet. It's your higher being flooding your consciousness and overwhelming your lower being. And therefore, it's, 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 that's why you're not going to feel the unholy desires at once. Because all you're going to feel is the, is the powerful gushing torrential or, or, or gushing river of your godly soul, which is wonderful. But it's not an essential thing. It's only happening because the sweetness, the honey is overwhelming the radish. 
The radish is still, essentially the radish is still a, ra- a radish. Hypothetically, if you're going to peel off the honey and you're going to scrape it, scrape it, and then put it through something that's going to like vacuum, I don't know what, <laughs> pull out the whatever has seeped into it and let the radish be as the radish is, the radish will be just as, I don't know what, what, what radish is. Radish are not bitter there, whatever they are. Tart. Until it converts it. It's only at the time that this greater power is now overpowering it. When this higher power will be taken away from it, and will go away, it will reawaken the old the energy and the power what was there before, Hamenagid that was on the opposite side. The Ispitakvayim who say it will return to its original state. And the proof to that is when things become converted by something opposite, like bitterness and sweetness. Even when fire and water become integrated, if in a scientific lab they can re-extract the water from this fire, you will return the fire to its original state. I don't know what he can tell you. And also, the, if you can re-extract, that, that's the idea. Fire and water, I don't understand it. But I don't know exactly the 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 chemistry of these things. Until it goes away, if you can take one out after it converged with the other, the previous state will be completely reinstated, and the weak one who was so weak and we thought he was gone, he's going to say, "I'm strong," and he's going to be just as stubborn as he was before. He has remained exactly as he was. He's, he hasn't changed in his, in his substance at all. Because if you will extract all the sweetness from the honey, the, the, the bitterness of the radish will remain exactly as it was earlier, also the water, even the sweet water that already sweetened the bitter water, if you take out all the sweet water, the bitter water will still be its the bitter water. If you can take it to a lab and take out all the water that mixed into it, they're going to remain exactly as they were before. Same as with fire and water. Same as with fire and water. I don't know what he means by this. In a, in a piece of wood, if you take out all the fire that was in it, it the, the, the water that was there, will you will find it still there. It didn't really change. So psychologically, in a person, when our negative impulses become converted by a powerful spiritual desire, it might feel as if it's gone. We might think it has completely been canceled, 
but not essential. This is only at this time. For example, the example for that is the enemies in the days of Shlomo. They were allies. They came to the Jewish people. They came to study wisdom from Torah. So you would think the world flipped over. There would be a holy, godly world forever. No. King Solomon passed away and everybody went back to being who they were. Because the influence of King Solomon's tremendous light in which he captivated the entire world, once it was returned, people went back to being who they were naturally. When Mashiach is going to come, it's never going back. Why? Because Mashiach is going to flip everything open from, over from its essence. That's the depth that we're talking about here. Because over here, it's not going to be Mashiach. It's not going to be one power overwhelming another power. The very substance of reality is going to be revealed its truth. Not a higher pull convincing a lower a lower desire to... to, to you know. And that's why when a higher power in our in our being overwhelms a lower power, when our when our godly soul overpowers our animal soul, it's not a real change. But this is also called when a person achieves this, it's called sacrificing because. In the, as long as this, as a person is in this condition, they have given over all desire. They have no more desire for the physical, no more desire for material for material pursuits. The only thing that matters to them is love and God, and they think that they essentially don't. Have. You can even dilute delusion yourself that that's the way it is. So you had, for example, Yochanan Kohen Gadol, Yochanan the high priest. He was a he was a high priest for eighty years. And then something happened and he became an apostate. He became a non-believer. He became a wicked person. It means that somehow his godly influence disappeared and he... So you see, it's possible. Um, and it's called Mesir Snafish. The reason is at the time that the godly light is shining brightly, this battle called Koyacharotz and Hazar. The entire foreign desire became, became at this time at least, became um, um, nullified. And it itself also becomes part of the sweetness. The animal soul itself rejects the, and is disgusted by the evil, but not because it is that way, but because it's just, it's just, Swept away by the godly soul. And it chose it chooses good. It's not it's it's not its complete Mesiris Nefesh. You're giving over your will, Levad. Because the desires of the animal soul. That are that 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 emerge into a person's consciousness, that has been cancelled. But the animal soul itself has been cancelled. Its expression has been cancelled. But its identity has not been 
is battle in Imsalashem, a lakak nikru baloshem nasira. It's called given over kadavid an imsar mishuslishes. It's like, I'll give an example, it's possible in an abusive situation there. You know, thank God these hostages were only there 50 days. You know, they tell the stories of these children that came back and the kids are scared to talk loud. It's so sad. Because for 50 days they were told not they can't talk, they're scared. They're still scared. You know, a lot of psychotherapy, these kids. So it's possible that someone is taken into captivity and held there for many years and they've basically been deprived of every single thing they want. They have no desire because they, they, none of their desire ever comes true. So they lose all desire. They don't have any, any ability that the desire will ever be lost. They get canceled by the desire of their captor who completely controls them. So does that mean that they converted the person essentially? The person has, there's no expression ever of self. But there still is a self. It just is no expression. Because it, it has been taught that any expression it has will be, will be ignored and, 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 and done the opposite. So it gives up on expressing itself. So in a good way, we can do that to our animal soul. But ultimately, it's not the right thing. Because then you're abusing your animals. Because ultimately, it's a, it's a creature that God created and it's just been silenced. So therefore, the way to go is to go much deeper. If you can convert the animal soul and reveal the godly essence of the god of the animal soul as well, and it assumes a different identity, but it's not a different identity; it's its deeper, truer identity. That's a true transformation. That's a true. Um, metamorphosis. And that's not just a little deeper. It's a whole world deeper. So, but, but he says the first level is also called Mesiris Nefesh because you, you give, Mesiris means to give yourself over. You're taking yourself out from the, the person is taking themselves out from the Domain of the Klippa. Shanishtanam and Mahusmishan, you become completely changed from who you were earlier. The Oisa Shah Shanimsa Bishus Acha, because you're giving yourself over into another place. While the person finds himself in the other domain, he's acting as if he or she is part of that domain. In this case, there can be a situation where the foreign desires go out of the public domain. Now we know that spiritually, the, the forces of the impure is called the public domain. God's domain is called the private domain. So going out from the public domain and going into the private domain. One can give themselves over to the singular truth of existence. That's called the private domain. There's a singular being that's God. And you give yourself over into the unity. 
even though at this time that you're given over at the time into the unity, it's absolute bittel. And it's bittel amahus arishin, bittel meaning complete nullification of the previous self. It's possible that you might end up back to where you were before. Why? If the godly soul should, for whatever reason, the godly power should, for whatever reason, subside, and its influence will end, then the original state of the animal soul will reassert itself. You end up going back to your previous self, which is the the public domain, a world of separation. The natural soul will go back to its natural inclination. The nefesh of Bahamas of the animal soul, like it was before. If you should call in Yenimesida, because its entire idea that it was given over, it's not an essential nullification. That derech Mesida Levad, it's giving over its desire. Because something is dominating over it. At that time, the Now, in chapter eight, is when he introduces a much deeper type of a connection, one that opens you up to a much deeper identity, which causes a complete transformation. It's messianic light, and this is the real level of Hasidus. Hasidus is meant if you learn enough Hasidus and you study it deeply, it's meant to not to intensify your holy desires, it's meant to redefine you as, as an entire being, to open you up to a deeper reality of your own self, to a point where, where your very existence becomes the existence of your godly soul. And at that level, when you uncover on the level of, 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 fundament, of, of identity, and there's no other identity to you other than your 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 deepest self, that's true transformation. And when that happens, there's no war. There's no conflict anymore. And the redemption also happens without a conflict. In other words, not only is there no war after, the very method itself is not through arguing with anything. It's just about opening yourself. It's it's just about self-discovery as opposed to a fight and an argument. Because when it comes to desires, there's there's clashes. There's the clashing of interests. This is beyond that. As should be, as shall be, as Ratashem studied and learned in the next class. I don't want to wait till next week, Thursday, to study this. Because that's going to be before Hanukkah. Next week, Thursday, it's going to be, no, it's going to be Hanukkah evening already. First night of Hanukkah. And I'd like to teach a Hanukkah discourse. So I want to finish this one or the other nights next week. So we might have a double class. I have to finish it because it's such a phenomenal discourse. We've, we still have Tess and Tess and Yud and Yud Aleph and Yud Aleph. Four long chapters still to learn. And we learned only seven chapters in two classes. Today we did one, two, Three, three and a half chapters. Okay.
This is really important. Take care of you. I want to see Mashiach now, so we will experience the complete transformation in ourselves.